Good evening, Dungeoneers. Just wanted to let you know before we got into the episode that tonight's episode has a little bit more cussing than what we're used to. Not that we've ever claimed to be PG or any other rating, but just in the event that you might be listening to this in front of your family or whatever, uh, you might want to know that this is more of an R-rated episode. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Hi, this is Bob 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 Vila. And now, it's time for the show. This old dungeon. The show where grognards go to get their grog on. Between the two of us, we're gonna get a lot of stuff done. Or he kicks my ass. We're gonna be awesome. Featuring your hosts! Hi, this is Bill Barsh. I am the managing director of Paysetter Games and Simulations. Look at this. It's a plumber's nightmare. Hi, this is Edwin. I'm a longtime cast member of Skype of Cthulhu, and I am the 5e editor for Frog God Games. Somebody here call a carpenter? This is Lou Alu. I could charitably call myself a game designer and game publisher, but definitely a veteran role player of 35 plus years. We work on it the rest of the night, we get it together. We can do this, right? There's no way in hell we can do it. Good evening, Dungeoneers. We have another exciting episode of this old dungeon for you tonight from the podcast that sort of inspired this podcast, we have Brett Blazinski. Brett, thanks for coming on the program tonight. Good job with the last name, man. Thank you very much for having me. This is awesome. <laughs> you gave me a little prep on that. I appreciate it. I do. That's all right. I like, I like getting around and meeting people that are doing similar stuff. You know, this is just all. And everybody, like, everybody I've met in the podcasting gaming community, they've just been flipping great people. So I'm like, hey, more cool people. I'm cool. This is great. <laughs> this will be fun. So I'm in. And then also with this, uh, my, 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 my two uh, Voyagers extraordinaire who've, who've been with me here for almost a solid year. You guys want to introduce yourselves? Sure. Hello, this is Edwin, and uh, very excited to be here. Very excited to have you on the show, Brett. Well, thanks, man. Hey, everyone. It's Bill Barsh, and it's great to be back this month. We're obviously going to put Brett up on the stage here and ask him some questions, uh, get into some of his uh, podcasting experience, talk about some of the projects he's done. Um, but before we do this, I, I just want to take a minute and uh, kind of look at what we've been doing in gaming. Well, I'm going to start this time because I am only a few hours back from Rising Phoenix Convention. Uh, this was their first year. They tried to have their first year be last year, but that didn't happen. Uh, hey, so this did, is. Did you see? Uh, did you bump into Tim Deshane? I think he was there too. I did not see Tim, which is weird because I swear he was he's a hard man that. to miss. Yeah, no, dude, dude stands out. Yeah, so I think he was there. Was he uh, doing DCC something or other? Of course. Okay. I think. Yeah. This, so this is uh, for this is just outside of Boston area, okay. and uh, uh, the people running it are a group of friends of mine I've been gaming with, and uh, they did a nice job. So it was about two hundred and fifty ish people, and uh, I played my first game of Dungeon World, so that was um, good to experience. And I uh, had another game of Call of Cthulhu in space. 
uh, <laughs> it was, uh, it was all right. Um, but it was great to, to see the, uh, new England gamers and uh, hang out for a while. We had some good chats about, uh, getting ourselves to game hole. So awesome. So that's been my other, I mean, there's all the usual stuff going on, but that's the, that's the exciting gaming stuff that's, uh, that's going on right now. Had you, uh, had you seen the poster that Jason Bronkowski had put together for that? For Rising have Phoenix? That up, yeah, it's kind of like a tie-dye kind of oh, yeah. psychedelic concert poster. That thing I, I did not bid on the, uh, they had a, a big one uh, that they were auctioning off with all the uh, con organizers signatures around it and stuff. And they had some really nice, one of the con organizers makes uh, fabric um, banners. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Made like a beautiful, like a huge one with a rising Phoenix logo and everything. And then there were all the, so we were, Frog God was a sponsor and they made one with our logo in there and they made one with some of the other uh, sponsors. And, and then they had like, just sort of um, like those sort of simplified coat of arm type banners, oh, nice. you know, like a yellow square and a checkerboard or whatever uh, all over. It's just really nice. It was a nice, uh, nice atmosphere, nice decoration. I'll tell you, man, a small con. I, I like, I love game hole. That's my favorite of the big cons that I've, that I've been to. Um, but a small con, a couple hundred people. Sometimes if, if it's run well, it's, those are, mm-hmm. they're flipping great, man. They're so much yeah. fun. You got a lot of really cool people that show up to them. A lot of locals, right? You get to meet all the people <laughs> who are gaming in your zone. And it's usually, I've, I've never failed to have a good time at such a con. Those are awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah, you can hang out in the bar and meet all the people like exactly. if, there, if you sit there for four hours you'll see everybody yeah exactly you know it's, it's one day in of a three-day con i know everybody i've met every all 200 of you y'all passed by me at some point yeah very cool all right let's kind of go around the horn here uh let's see, uh, bill what do you got going on i did not get to do any gaming this week so i'm back to back to old bill um <laughs> just a, a busy week for us at pay center we're we're Closing up on on getting uh, our Endless Encounters Kickstarter um, to the printer, so we just got the PDF out uh, to our BX backers. The five E's going like next week. We do like a, a dry run. We always send up just a PDF out for a week or two, let people take a look at it. Um, it's like our last ditch editing model where in just a free, in the free the, crowdsource editing it version. Is, just in case the fifteen <laughs> people have already looked at this thing, haven't missed something, right? Yep. So good news, nothing. It's been out for three days. We've heard nothing, but you know, people are just like, "Oh my god, I can't wait for the book." So, which awesome. is better than, "Oh my god, don't ever send me the book." So, um, <laughs> I changed my mind. Yeah. <laughs> How do I get my money back? <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, uh, it it's crazy. So it's just a busy week. The thing came out way bigger than I think the Kickstarter. You know, we said it was going to be around two hundred pages. The thing's two ninety four. Oh, yeah, nice. it's it's huge. Um, we like tripled the new monsters, new magic items, and that kind of thing. So the people are pretty happy with it. But it's it's just been it's been our week. So uh, it's uh, it's a busy it's been another busy couple of weeks actually with that. So how did that you know affect your bottom line as far as like what you thought you were going to be you know paying for each book you know um, wholesale or whatever? It, well, yeah, I mean if it, it's a negative uh, you know slight on the bottom line without question, um, which. It, Normally it's not that big a deal, but right now, I mean, we're, we're a domestic printer. So we've been, we've been printing modules and adventures for 14 years. Mm-hmm. We've never printed anything outside the U S we've always been a domestic U S printer. we got a couple printers, which, you know, are, you know, we consider them affordable. Most, a lot of the publishers don't, but uh, for us, it works. We like the quality. We like 
keeping stuff in the United States, that kind of thing. Um, but I, I got to tell you, it, we, we have watched our costs in printing just skyrocket over the last three or four years, three or four projects, which is about a year and a half. And, and this one in particular, we got our, we got our estimates just back from both our, our main printers that do hardcovers. And uh, yeah, it, it's ugly. <laughs> I mean, we're good. We're good. But it's, it's, uh, it's not where you wanted uh, to be kind of thing. It's insane. I mean, well, I'll tell you, man, the, the from people insane. I've talked it's to insane. similar to yourself, everybody said that, you know, I got the idea of the quote, you know, I got the idea, put it together, got my quote, you know, a month ago. I'm like, hey, that ought to be it. Two months later, like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> the quote went through the roof. You know, he's like, yeah. The, yeah. the the people I know in your space, I don't know a lot, but who do, who do publishing, yep. you're like, you know, it's just, instead of like a slow little curve, it's kind of like a doosh, this 45 <laughs> no, degree it's, yeah, straight it's up the wall. You're like, it's a rocket God. ship to the moon right now. I mean, wow. literally we, we printed the, the last one we printed was Lost Triptych. That was the same thing. It was, you know, that book was two over 250 pages they're all they're full color inside mm. and out and uh the cost on, on endless encounters is damn near almost double of that wow. and it's been three months so we put a phone call in right away i mean we've been working with one of these printers forever and they're they're you know we it's it, it's a it's a marriage of businesses you know we consider because we've been with them forever but uh and they've always been 100% transparent and honest with us. It's just the cost of paper. It, yeah, there's, I mean, if, there's nothing you can do if the, if the material yeah. cost goes there's nothing from, they you can know, do. Yeah. It, it, it's just, you know, everyone's now trying to print stuff domestically because you can't get anything printed overseas now or the shipping's out of control. Um, I was finishing so. my basement. I was finishing my basement. At one point, I paid $10 for a two-by-four. I shit you <laughs> not. <laughs> a no, stud grade eight-foot two-by-four. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> 10 bucks? I should walk in with $10 bill and get changed for six of these. What the hell just happened? Yeah, I was say, yeah, the only that's thing that's insane. been worse than, than uh, publishing is construction costs. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah, and I mean my real life job is construction. So oh, I, good lord. Okay. <laughs> wow, you just yep, and, and yep, for fun, I, I have somebody hit me in the head with a hammer just for fun. <laughs> it's like yeah. everything to be bad. Wow, holy shit. Dude. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's ugly everywhere in the U.S. right now. I mean, everything. Yeah. It's just uh, sourcing anything right now is really difficult. Uh, I'll tell I mean, you what. I'll tell you gonna, what, though. I'll tell you what, ahead. though. Being transparent as you are with like what's happening, how you're building those relationships, and if you're talking to your backers and stuff. I mean, there's. We've all seen people like in the Kickstarter world that kind of go silent and then shit falls apart and you don't know what the fuck yeah. happened. Blech. But um, uh, Dave Beatty, uh, a fr- friend of our show and a great guy, yeah. you know, he ran into he ran into some serious freaking problems, you know, and he was very transparent. Like, look, I am way the hell over budget. I'm kicking in yeah. tens of thousands of my own just to make this right. I apologize all the way through, though. He was telling us what was going on. So I'm like, OK, cool. Rock on. And I think that's the thing. I honestly believe just as a quick aside, gaming products are not they're worth more than I pay for them for sure. Right. Every yeah. time I see, every time I see oh, a book yeah. and someone goes 60 bucks, I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? What a deal that is. I could kill a man with this thing. It's only 60 bucks. My God, this is a huge <laughs> dome. You know, I, I'm like, that's a hundred dollar book all day long. Well, um, when you could say, when you go back and you look at the player's handbook in 1977 was 15 bucks. Yeah. Okay. And that's what people you know? still want to pay today. Like, that, right. That right. Right. Way. But really, none of us wanted to pay 15 bucks in 1977 mm-hmm. for that book. It was, a but you know, but you figure you get, you know, 40 years of enjoyment out of it. Like that's better than that steak dinner. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, this sucker, my, my Chicago by night, this, I, yep. this cost me 18 bucks brand new. I, I bought it the day it came out. And this thing, I've had this forever since the early nineties. I yeah, still use the damn thing, you know? Yeah, yeah longevity, anyway. longevity in a product is a is a big thing. But oh, I, and I don't want to get off get off say crime here. We're good. I mean, pace setter is good. We you know we're okay. We kind of plan for worst case scenarios when we do a lot of our stuff. And we've been so we've been in this for a long time. We're not we're not 
usually going to get caught by surprise. We may not be happy about it, but but we're <laughs> oh look, not, contingency plan yeah, Zeta. We're not Great. we're not uh, <laughs> we're not in any any danger of anything weird happening or nothing. That's like good. That. The project's running a bit slow, I would say, but we're we're one hundred percent good. But um, well, except you're not getting any gaming in. Well, that especially, but like I said, when in the next couple, of weeks, I tell you right now, the next couple of weeks, maybe the next month, we're really going to be. Uh, it's a uh, it's crazy time because it's going to get to our fulfillment and everything else with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're going to be packed, and then we're launching another one. So that's just of course. you know, yeah, yeah. Just how how it rolls, you know. But I consider that gaming anyway, because I'm. I'm knee deep in gaming books all the time. So Brett, I listened to uh, about on my drive back up from Boston. I listened to, uh, I guess about half of some of your recent gaming where you're running Sean through your little uh, copper kettle. uh... Yeah. So we wanted to do something kind of at the, um, we came BS. It was a little bit different and we've been talking, we've been, Sean, I've been doing this for seven plus years or whatever it is. And um, I said, you know, we should do man. And, we've toyed with the idea of like an actual play of some sort where you do a sides. I I, I lean into Mike and go, look, this is why I'm doing this. And I'm like, I have no idea if there's any value in it, man, but I'm like, look, I'm going to, we're going to fucking do it anyway and see if anybody likes it or bites or cares about it. Because you know how it is, man, you can sit there and you can run a game. It's all, it was fun. It was so cool. And if you as game master or you as player thinking, wow, I made that up on the fly or wow, I can't believe this happened. Or we just kind of worked together with this weird magical synchronicity bullshit and it's hard to explain sometimes after the fact when it happens you know even that it could be hard to capture it you know so anyway it's kind of fun to do man i was i I was impressed by your uh your ability to have the two two channels of brain going on at the same time because i was thinking you know because like you're running and you're you're making stuff up and then you had to stop and like back your brain up about 30 seconds uh, but the other thing I was thinking about is what a great passive aggressive way to tell Sean to get his shit together. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> well, he had a couple of points that were, and I just like, you know what? I told Sean, I said, look, I'm going to be honest. I said, if I don't like something, I'm going to say it. He's like, no, do it. He said, because, you know, he said, even as a player, he said, I'm going to keep doing my thing. He said, but that's another piece we don't often say is like, hey, man, you know, when we were playing, Edwin, you kind of. You kind of ground the whole fucking game to halt for an hour, dude, while you couldn't figure out which short sword to buy. Really, Edwin? Yep. Was that the game we're playing today? <laughs> exactly. Short sword buying day, you know? It's and, short sword buying day. And, you know but that? we don't we don't often do that. So it was kind of it was kind of fun to needle short. Because there are a couple yeah, things he did. So I'm like, this is fucking dumb. Why is he doing this? You know what? I'm just gonna this is what I'm thinking. I promised people I would say what I was thinking. So this is what I'm thinking. This is yeah. dumb. I don't know why he's doing it. I'm gonna make him go back to where I want him to be. <laughs> now I haven't listened fun. to episode yet. Were you doing both the commentary and the play at the same time, or did you yeah. go back and add the no. Oh, okay. They tried to do wow. it at the same time. <laughs> yeah, that's we, a juggling jack. We were thinking about doing like run the game, then do the commentary. The problem is Sean does all um I joke and say I'm, I'm the pretty guy who talks a lot, right? <laughs> I'm not one, not pretty, and two, I do talk a lot, but the um Sean does all the technical work and he's like, Man, I don't have the time to go back and like we're just looking at schedule. Let's ten. just do it all at once because it's a lot of work. It's it, it's all those things where if you sit down and plan it out you know like hey i'm gonna do uh this thing this thing this thing this thing it's like you know i to kind of go back to kickstarters right we've all seen the kickstarter like oh i'm gonna do this and this and this and this like you got four dudes there's no way you're gonna do 20 (laughs) things in a month you know it's just too much work yeah so in addition to that i was gonna say the other thing i've got going is my kids and i wrapped up a basin or vasen however you want to pronounce it game that was fun they loved it they loved the investigation components of it my kids love dark fantasy and, and uh, kind of the brutality because they, they're my kids. Um, <laughs> and then uh, 
they decided, I'm like, what do you guys want to play next? I'll run something for you. What do you want to do? They decided they wanted to play a 5e game. And I'm like, okay, cool. I love 5e. I have a good time. We're running this. What do you want to, what do you want to do? So they want to have a, a world we make up on our own. I'm like, sounds great. And AJ wants two characters. Ilana wants one. And she said, well, you know, sometimes I get busy doing my conlang stuff or doing this thing or that thing. I might not feel like playing. And I said, well, that's why AJ has two characters. I said, what my challenge will be, what I'm going to do is try to build it so that each session is like almost like a mini event. Like as a start, it's very self-contained. Episodic. Kind yeah. Of, so yeah. that way, when we go in, we solve problem X, we solve problem Y. I can have a through line and that's totally fine. They'll pick up on like an old X-Files deal, right? Where you kind of trail through it. Mm-hmm. But that way, if AJ is like, I want to play, Alana says she doesn't want to play. That's great. He's got two characters. We roll into it and go. So I've been be playing fun. in a, in a live streamed game that has that, idea they do i don't know how many games a a month they do probably like 20 or 25 games damn and each game is just sort of a random group of whoever signed up for that evening but the the idea is exactly that it's like there's a huge through line there's a world there's a big meta story but there's two and a half hours or three hours of adventure and at the end of that you finish you're either dead or you've succeeded yeah and that's the stone (laughs) stone cell one or did i get the name wrong Uh, no no the stone hell is uh is uh is also that this is a lost land. I guess it's called Lost Lands, basically Terra Perdue, uh, but it's not. Uh, it's not our Lost Land, so <laughs> it's, okay. it's, it's a Lost Worlds, maybe. Okay. Um, but it's uh, yeah. The the Stonehell one is is much like we each go into the dungeon for you know, and then we're at the end of the night we're out. But the that one I think has a lot more continuity in terms of you know short term arcs of like we're messing with the kobolds for a few sessions at a time. Uh, that, whereas, I think there's, there's something to be said for that short-term continuity, you know, yeah. li, li, really like, cause if you're playing it, if it's always like, well, it's kobolds today, goblins tomorrow, orcs the next day. You're like, um, how did I get from, you know, there's something to be said for the flow. Well, yeah. And if you have the, if you have the same characters, it's easy to, to do that. It's when you have, yeah. it's like, if you're trying to explain or rationalize or just live with characters coming in and out of the story, then it seems like it's Tougher. a little easier to, yeah. Uh, cut your arc off and say okay boom we solved that problem exactly that sounds like fun that sounds like cool fun the other one i've got yesterday i ran my we jokingly call it an all day we're all like in our late 40s early 50s so we're too old to play like all day anymore (laughs) but we started my place at three my wife is wonderful and susan makes dinner and there's always some like crazy weird ass thing she wants to try out on us we're gamers so we're we're like garbage cans right (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna feed us we don't have to stop to order pizza we'll just keep going right so we had like fried rice. So it was great. It was awesome. But I'm running a Pathfinder game in this uh, in a setting that I've been toying with for a while. It goes back to I don't know if anybody remembers Gaming Outpost. It was an old forum ages back, back like when RPG Net was new and it, the old the olden days. Gaming Outpost was out there, and John Wick was on Gaming Outpost, which is how I found out who he was and what he was doing. And I uh, bought Orc World back in the back in the ages. Um, but he put up this little blurb called The Wasteland. It was this kind of a almost like a Stephen King gunslinger type of thing. And I'm like, you know, I've always wanted to do like a crazy Western mashup. So I sat down over a couple of months and I slowly but surely cranked out this concept and we've been running through that. So it's, um, it's like wild West D and D type of stuff. There's guys with guns, there's sorcery, there's madness. There's, I stole some stuff from the black company. Um, nice. The concept of the devourer and um, all the taken and, it's fun. It's been a blast so far. The guys are really grooving on it because their characters know they're they're 
I jokingly say they're pros, right? Insofar as we've been playing together for over 30 years, my group and I. And so the guy's like, okay, my character knows this, but I, Zave, don't know this, or I, Alpha, don't know this. So Alpha will be playing and be like, okay, so as a paladin, I'm thinking this. He'll basically, like from a dungeon rule perspective, just spout lore. Like, hey, I'll bet you those death knights we saw are taken and transformed paladins. They broke them and turned them into those things. I'm like, you goddamn right they are. That's fucking yep. they are I, take, I just took notes. I'm like, oh my God. Oh, I love everything about that. You know, I'm like, at, at world, world peace. I threw out something. I'm like, oh, Titans. We had Titans. Oh, fucking there's Titans in there. You know, so we're developing as we go. But the cool thing is everybody is picking up every clue and they're in the, they're in the zone, right? They're like, oh, this is the world that everything they're doing is fitting that milieu where they're just kind of grinding it all together and, some will come up and say, oh, that one won't fit because that's a little too this century. It's more this. So it's cool. like a, it's like a weird challenge we gave ourselves, but it's working out so far. <laughs> a lot of, and the yesterday was a ton of fun. So, so Brett, awesome. while we're talking about your gaming group, uh, this is something that's always just, just blown my mind listening to your podcast. Mm-hmm. So you said you guys have been together for 30 years. Yeah, we started in 1991. I'm the I'm the I'm the founder and oldest member, of course. <laughs> um, but everybody else has been, I think. Like Aaron, I mean, I'm tight with these, with these guys. And I, when I mean tight, my, my first, my first biological son is named Aaron after my friend, Aaron, who I met through this gaming group. So, wow. um, was this a gaming yeah. group that met like in a shop or college? Yeah. So or- what happened was I uh, get out of high school, graduate in 91. And, um, I, there's a local gaming store called gateway comics and games, my hometown, Wausau, which I've now moved back to. And um, we're going in and out. And the girlfriend I was dating at the time really liked vampires because Anne Rice was like hip and sexy. Mm-hmm. So it was like, hey, right. and I'm, I'm reading through <laughs> Dragon Magazine. There's a vampire, the masquerade. And I'm like, oh, well, this is probably something she'll like. And she's a huge gamer. She loves gaming. We have so much fun gaming with my friends and her and all this stuff. I'm like, hey, let's buy this. It's something different. So I picked it up and then I start buying every supplement that comes out. And there's not a lot of them at the beginning. And the guy, Chris, who runs the shop is like, are you playing this? I said, yeah. He's like, huh, you're the only guy buying it. But I, I heard really good things about it. And I said, well, you want me to like run a demo for you? And I ended up running. He made a character. I ran a demo for him. And then like 13 years later, we wrapped up that campaign. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it was like just this huge blow. I mean, I ran World of Darkness stuff for 15 years. Not, it was like nonstop. And when I moved from Wausau down to Madison for college, then it was once a month. But other than that, it was like every Saturday you know, four to eight hours, depending when somebody get off of work or whatever, but we've had people come and go. I've unfortunately had, um, I've had, we've had a couple people um, just move out of town. We had uh, one person died, unfortunately, a long, long time back, but just different things have happened where, you know, Hey, so-and-so they and their girlfriend are here and they broke up. We kept her, got rid of him. Cause he's a dick. He's a great game. Oh, she moved out of town. <laughs> She's not here anymore. And all that type of stuff happened. But the core of what I have now, I think there's including myself, there's seven of us. Wow. But we're all uh, what I would consider founding founding guys. We've all been in it and through it together forever. So, any uh, any advice for people out there that are trying to keep their gaming group together or want to get I'll to that ta- thirty year range? I'll tell you, man. Part of it is you got to, young. You got to want to be young. <laughs> be younger than me. I'm for I just turned forty nine. So just start earlier if you're if you're not earlier. Um, there's a dedication level. And what I mean by that, Sean has talked about this in our podcast. Is like, look, if if you're bowling, right? You're a bowling league. Every Saturday's bowling night. You don't fucking miss bowling night, man. <laughs> it's game night. If it's once a month, it's that you show up. We take it very seriously. This is a very serious hobby to all of us. And that was a piece where we had people who were like, oh, yeah, I kind of like to play D&D. Could I play with you guys sometimes? No, no, you cannot. <laughs> this is every week, Tuesday now at Brett's house. 
or back in the day, we're like, look, I show up once a month and we play for eight hours. I, I, I don't want to tolerate a casual person who kind of blows in and blows out. We're running some deep, um, heavy plot stuff, you know, massive through lines. There's emotional stuff. I've got guys crying because their characters died or someone they love died. And these a lot, it's a very emotional thing. And, and um, the other piece of it is that the, the people I've, I let into that group and over the time is we are all friends outside of it. We've been in each other's weddings, named kids after each other. We are friends outside of this. My buddy Lenny and I, right, his real name's Aaron, but Lenny is his nickname. We went out to see, um, we saw, it was In Flames, Trivium, uh, Megadeth headline, but we walked out because they suck. Um, <laughs> um, and then uh, you know, Lamb of God was there. And we was like, oh, fuck, we're going to a concert. So we we do all that shit. I moved into I moved into my house. The guys who helped me move in are all my gaming friends. You know, we, we do every, we do all that stuff. We're just friends together. We like each other's company other than just at the table. And I think that that's a big, that's a big piece of when Sean and I started our podcast, part of it was we got along together. He was a recruiter at a company and he recruited me into a project management role and we got along and we were friends before we started podcasting. We were like, Hey, you like a thing. I like a thing. Let's just do this. Mm -hmm. You know? So for me, a long running gaming group, part of it for me has been, I, I, I love these guys. They're like my brothers. And I know that sounds cliche, but you know, they call them there. That's what happened. Somebody's um, one of my buddies, JR, his, his uh, father died and a year later, his mom died. Everybody goes to the funeral, you know, wherever you are, you show up. That's what happens. You know, somebody needs help out of town. That's, that's the deal. And again, we're dedicated to the hobby. And that, you know, if it's, if it's game night, you're at fucking game night, man. You don't, you don't skip game night unless you've got like, Oh, your kid has a soccer tournament. You can't get out of. All right, beta, you have a pass. Otherwise, <laughs> where are you? <laughs> get your ass to the game. <laughs> I don't know if that helps, but that's kind of, no, that's, no, a, that's, I, a, that's a, that's a big deal for clearly us. Clearly right there, man. A, yeah. Depth of fraternity and commitment yep. to the game. Mm -hmm. I like it. Well, what have you been up to? Get some well, maybe, in? maybe <laughs> here in about another two hours, I'm going to be able to get some gaming in. <laughs> we got my Sunday <laughs> night game coming up, but uh, nice. so far the phone's been exploding with, uh, you know, oh, kids sick. Oh, I can't make it. Got <sighs> this. So I don't know if, if, if three of us can make it, you know, it's, uh, that's going to be enough. We'll do something. So are you running we'll or see. what's the, what's the, game? Uh, if, if it gets down to three, then yeah, I'm going to, uh, I wrote a little mutant crawl classics, uh, adventure for, uh, scientific barbarian. So I was going to just pull that out and give it one more test play. Uh, that way I can, it's, it's still not in print yet. So I can still tweak it if I need to. There you uh, go. I've, that's, that's the plan. I'll tell you, man, what, what you just said right there, you asked me, you know, how do you keep people here? There are times when we're like, hey, not everybody can play. Okay, you still coming over? Yeah, three guys show up, we'll play a board game. Yeah. Um, I have a pool table in my basement, my buddy Alpha has a pool table. Hey, we're going to shoot pool? Sure. Or we get together and um, we just talk about gaming or we just hang out, right? So sometimes it's a matter of, look, the game didn't happen, but you're going to do something anyway. I think what you're doing there is a key piece to like, you, you, part of Honor it is that you find, time. yeah, yeah, it's like, it. I, I, I got the time set. It's kind of like um, I tell people I work, I've, I'm an IT director for a global company. And one of the things I'll tell people is, you know, you're trying to get people organized time and shit. And, and you look at them like, hey, man, you've got to you got to dedicate time to do this work. You know, well, it's probably about like, look, man, you got to figure out the time to do it. You know, my father was an electrician. And uh, so when I'm wiring up my basement because all the shit I learned from him, I'm like, look, I'm going to set this time on this day is electrical day. Well, can't you figure it out as you go? No, no, you can't. I can't. I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> map this shit out. I'm gonna come back at it. I'm gonna run my wires, I'm gonna do my thing, you know. Then I'll put the drywall up. I don't put the drywall up first, then try to knock holes in that shit, you know. But it's I, I think it's a it's a big deal though to have that type of an option. Like, hey man, you guys still want a game? Yeah, I got a DCC thing to throw at you. Fuck yeah, let's roll. 
I think it's one of the great things about gaming is it, how it ties things together and, and keeps things uh, like that going. I and mean, I've, I've, I've got a group of friends. We've been together and buds since we were in grade school. Um, and I'm a lot older than all of you guys here. So, um, but the, the uh, you know, what, what was it? The other listener called you the uh, graying alpha wolf. <laughs> <laughs> that was still awesome. I'll take it. Um, but so, I mean, we've been gaming since, you know, when we were friends before that, we started gaming back in 76, 77. And, you know, there's a group of 10 of us, basically, and still four or five of the of that core group still gets together almost, you know, fairly regularly. Actually, That's awesome. And every, the rest of us kind of pop in here or there. I mean, we're spread all over the country. We got different things and all that. Um, we're not all as local as we used to be, obviously. But uh, it is it's amazing how that still holds together. And uh, and gaming, is all, you know, I mean, friendships are friendships, but game, they have gaming be a part of it, I think, is something that um, can never be um, misrepresented or undervalued, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it does, you know, hard times, good times, you know, your, your, your game is kind of always there to get out of the rest of uh, everything else that's always going on. Right. I mean, it, 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 invariably it is escapism, but it also, it's funny. It's, it's, uh, it's, you know, kind of a dichotomy of, of escapism. We get to escape the real world by hanging out with all our real world friends. And uh, I think that's what, what Brett is saying here. Um, what I'm taking out of it is, uh, is just another example of that, which is, you know, it's, it's, inspiring i think to see it should be inspiring to all of our i don't know what our demographics look like but all of our young listeners should be inspired <laughs> by that day. 30 years from now you're still going to be looking at that, that guy across the table and you will not regret having spent that 60 bucks on a gaming book you will not <laughs> you'll look back at it and go god damn did i get a deal i bought i paid 60 dollars back in 2022 and i am still playing with that book today killer yeah, deal right exactly yep. Yep. exactly all right. Well, I think we killed the death out of what we're doing in gaming. Yeah, recently. I think so. Well, well I, you know, but, uh, you know, because Lou won't do it, but I will. So Lou mentioned Mutant Crawl Classics. So Lou actually has a Kickstarter running right now on a Mutant Crawl Classics adventure. It is awesome, guys. So all you listeners, uh, hopefully it's, this show it, it, it'll, it it'll wrap up before the, the show before this drops. Yeah, yeah <laughs> but go in afterwards. You can write. I'm pretty sure you can still go in and. Uh, back things after the fact or, or just some me- message me stuff. on uh, facebook i'll, I'll there it get is. you a copy get in somehow. on it yeah. <laughs> we'll have extra all right so uh I-, I got some questions edwin you got some questions let's uh let's grill the man I- there's stuff i want to know you know all right, all all right, right. let's see let's see what happens. Start it off. what have i got all right so you know the first question we always ask everybody is like take us back to the day you got into gaming where when what Take us there, man. Okay. So my buddy, Todd Thompson, his older brother, Terry Jr. is um, I'm over at a sleepover at his house at Todd's place. One of my best friends. There's like three of us. And uh, Todd's telling us about this game, d and I have no fucking idea what this is. There's D Dungeons and Dragons. Like, okay, cool. That sounds funny. I like Dungeons. I like Dragons. My mom was a big Hobbit fan. I'm like, okay, cool. I remember watching the animated Hobbit movie when I was a kid. Yeah, I love that stuff. This would be great. Okay, cool. Again. Yeah, exactly. So we sit down and... Uh, and we coax Terry slash bully him because if he doesn't do this, these younger kids are going to go. We're in third grade. These third graders are not going to leave the older brother alone until he runs a game for us. So we all make characters. I want to be a knight. So he makes me a paladin. We have obscenely crazy stats. I remember him giving us, gave me like a 25 strength or something just to shut me up and like just crazy numbers and weird ass stuff. <laughs> we fought 
demigorgon and all sorts just craziness we found holy <laughs> paladin stuff i thought a magic missile was like a icbm i didn't understand i didn't know what that was but we played that day and then I'm like oh my god this was so much fun this is like cops and robbers on steroids man in your head and all these rules and oh my god it was ad and d it was first edition ad and d he just called it D D. and then i start pestering him ever like hey can, can i borrow one of those books can we do this can we do that so then every time you go to todd's place that's what you do his brother's running a game so then i want these books and i start hunting for them and so forth but i'll tell you man it was third grade that sleepover birthday party i'm hooked and uh, awesome. i've been doing it ever since i haven't stopped it's just it's, it's whenever i can read a book buy a book game whatever it is i just this is this is i have other hobbies i've done but nothing nothing i've done as long as this Fantastic. So did you have um, some thought of taking, I guess, specifically GMing, but gaming in general sort of seriously in the way uh, that you do before you started your the gaming in BS? Or is that something that you sort of, I mean, I suspect you did take it seriously, but were you conscious of taking it seriously? So I mentioned the gaming outpost, outpost forum. There was a guy out there. I cannot remember his name, but he started, he had a little blog and they're like, Hey, anybody can do this. Like just write articles. Just wanted to drive people there. And I had, uh, I wrote a couple of things for pyramid that I tried to get published and I always got shot down. Damn it. Damn it. I'm getting shot down. Oh, this sucks. <laughs> but this place I could write whatever the fuck I wanted. And they would just let me post it as long as it wasn't like obscenely stupid you know, I could do this. And, um, when I got into that website, particularly people were saying, how do I do this? I'm like, oh, I know how to do that. I would give somebody a piece of advice. Like, hey, I would try this if I were you. I've had this work for me. And people, oh, thank you. I tried that. It worked. Oh, I did that. But I had this income. I'm like, wow, I've never seen that before. So we start, once I started engaging online more, I really realized like, wow, I like this. And I have a voice that I'd like to share with people. And people are enjoying what I have to say. Prior to that, I remember getting into game mastering because I was sick of we couldn't play unless Eric Schaefer was running because he was our high school DM and nobody else would do it. Um, I'm like, well, I'm going to try it. I think I've told the story before, but then I tried running AD&D one time and the guys were just brutal. They were mean. I didn't know the rules right. They, they just, they, they were brutal about it. So then I got Merp, Middle Earth Roleplaying by Iron Crown Enterprises. We're going to learn this system, assholes. Nobody knows this but me. I can't <laughs> There's be wrong. some punishment. This There's is punishment. Some... Oh yeah. my gosh. I'm going to make you learn this shit now. But um, I, I started game mastering basically because we needed, there was a hole. Eric was busy. Or an adventure would be happening and something would go on. I'm like, man, it would be cooler if this happened. And that thing never happened. And I started watching other game mastering. I'm like, man. That's not, that's not what I would have done. That's not what I would have done. And finally, there's only one way to get what you want done is to do it yourself. So I'm like, that's it. God damn it. Give me that screen type of thing. So I started running other games. And I actually, some of the first people I ran for were um, my mom, my dad, my sister. Because I'm like, I couldn't trap anybody else to do it. My dad didn't care for it. But my sister and my mom was a huge Lord of the Rings fan. So she, she dove into it. She had a lot of fun. That was, that was a good time. But yeah, I got, I think it was what, that was kind of the impetus of get to be game master. But once I realized online that I answered questions for people and they said, thank you. And they were played about it. I'm like, Oh, wow, this is kind of neat. There was always some asshole out there too, but usually um, having a good discourse with somebody online, it was all, you know, just discussed by post type of thing. And then when I was running my vampire games in my, in my hometown for the, at the, um, at the comic book store, after it would close, we'd show up and we'd run this game. People would come in and say, Hey, I hear you're the guy that's doing this vampire game. I hear you're really, really good. I'm like, um, well, I hope so. You can, <laughs> can I watch you? I'm like, you want to watch me run a game? Sure. What the fuck? Sit down, kid. 
that all right, I guess go ahead, watch me run a game. Hey, the original Matt Mercer, right here, buddy. It was a weird experience to have like, and then some of those people like Mike, uh, I knew I met Mike there, and then Mike played with me for decades until he moved away and got married and stuff. Like actual plays before actual plays. Yeah, it was just the weirdest thing. <laughs> that was actually a rule. For a long, we had that as a rule for a long time because I had 13 players at one point. We're like, look, I can't handle any more people. It's basically a mini LARP at this point. Like you have to audit a game. You have to like be in, they have to like get into it and understand what we're doing. And if you have fun watching us, then you'll have fun playing with us. That was a, that was a thing we did for years. I would not have taken gaming seriously, like as a thing that one could do better and to sort of consciously think about without certainly things like uh, your podcast and, um, obviously getting into publishing helps, but a lot of it was really um, listening to people who weren't just playing games, but were also thinking about how to play games better. And that was sort of an interesting difference and a new, a new twist. I was like, Oh, Oh yeah. Look at that. You can, you can do more than simply do the stuff you're doing. You can also think about the stuff and see how to make it. uh, I like to change your gaming and. Yep. I liked reading uh, John Wick when he came with the play dirty series. Mm -hmm. It was just a series of stuff that was in pyramid magazine. So I read those when they came out. And I liked reading some of the old Dragon magazines. I've got them all on CD back when was when that was out. Yep, what a weird <laughs> debacle that turned out to be. Anyway, um, <laughs> I love reading like the advice columns, like how you do different stuff. And I remember my my high school game master, still a friend of mine, Eric, goes to Gen Con one year with me. Our first year at Gen Con is like '89, and we're going back to my uh, my uncle's place where we're gonna crash. And he's like, I walk by this guy. And he's got like eight people at the table. Like, wow, that's a lot of people. He goes, yeah, but he's doing this crazy thing, man. Like when your initiative comes up, you're like, hey, what do you do? Uh, too late, moving on. And he would like skip people. And he had music. And all the- we were just talking about all the crazy stuff we saw people doing that was different. And we started thinking like, could we do that? So I think if I you know go back far enough, back in 89, when we first started seeing those different things happen at the table and listening and hearing all those stories and watching other people totally do different shit than anything we thought was possible like wow that's pretty cool yeah let's try that which is also one of the ways we found out who was a serious gamer and who wasn't because if you tried something maybe maybe that is what it takes is going to cons and seeing like because if you just if you're playing with your home group and you're just doing your thing with your home group you guys all evolve together in a certain way but as soon as you go to a game yeah yeah you start seeing actual plays or you start listening to podcasts you start seeing other people having fun in different ways and then you're like, oh, oh, that's a thing, too. Oh, and here's this other thing. And then you start, yeah, starting thinking about bringing all that together and choosing bits and pieces that you like and ignoring the rest. Yeah, because until I met Jen Brinkman through the podcast, I didn't know. I kind of knew about Dungeon Crawl Classics because Sean got into it because he had met Jen and a couple DCC converts somewhere. And he convinced me to buy this book, which I, think, I can't remember. <laughs> it was dirt cheap. It was a big tome. Wow, this yeah, is kind of interesting. I don't know, man. But then you listen to somebody who's super passionate about something. I'm like, okay, I'm done. I'm, I'm in. I'm running a campaign. I'm going to run this. Right. Drop of a hat. If I've got time, I'll play a DCC game because of meeting Jen and talking to her. And then guys like Tim DeShane, other people were big into DCC and just listening to them, how passionate they were, how much fun they were having. And um, I can't get that. I don't think from a, a blog post, I, a little bit I can, but when you hear it in someone's voice, you know, right. that's where podcasting is really cool to me is you get to, get to say this. I don't have to do an actual play to see you have passionate fun, you know? Right. Right. But again, at the con, you're listening to people discuss the, the cool parts between, you know, this edition of Call of Cthulhu and that edition of Call of Cthulhu. And you understand how passionate they are. And nine times out of 10, you ask them what they're talking about. If you don't know, they're going to convert you in about a hot minute. Right. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, buddy. You had uh, mentioned that you met Sean through a kind of work circumstances. Yep. At, at what point do you realize that you're both gamers? And then at what point are you like, hey, what about a podcast? So Sean, through the interview process, Sean asked me like, hey, what are your hobbies? You kind of get to know you. I said, oh, yeah, and I'm, a, I'm a D&D nerd. Just got, now, like now, hold on. Throw. Put this in context. What year oh. is this? Because oh, that matters is... a big difference. Oh, Christ. This is. Because like if you said that nowadays, no big deal, man. That's, yeah. You know, no, but if you is, said that um... back in, you know, even in the 90s, it might be like, wow. I think this is like nine years ago, nine, ten years ago That's when we first met. Pretty brassy, man. Yeah. All right. And, I, and this is, I, I'm an IT project manager at the time. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm just going to throw, this is a throwaway nerd credit thing and see if anybody bites, if anybody uh-huh. cares. Cause I'm like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a D and D nerd. It's huh, me too. It's kind of like scratch. What, what'd you just say? Me too. Really? <laughs> what are you playing? So the interview goes off the rails a bit. We talk. About, <laughs> okay. Let's go back to here. So we talk and talk. I get hired, come in. He did a great job too. He gave me exactly what I wanted. All the money I asked for. It was great. Sean's awesome. So I get in there and then we, um, he looks me up because he, you know, he got me in the, in the job. He's still working there. He's like, hey, we should have lunch. I'm like, yeah, cool, man. I don't know anybody here except for like two other people. Yeah, let's go. We start talking about what are you gaming at? And he's got his little um, MacBook Air and he's got podcast stickers on it and shit. I'm like, wow, what's that about? Oh, I do. I kind of podcast. He had Grumbling Dwarf ages back and he, this just in from Gen Con stickers. And he, he knew all these different people. I'm like, huh, I don't know any of those folks. That's kind of cool. You know, all these people. But as a recruiter, Sean just got this, like he could roll in here, sit in a corner, listen to four of us talk, and he'll know age, name, birthday, wife, wife's favorite cookie. You know, he'll figure all that <laughs> shit out. He'll log it away. You know, that's just what he can do. I can't. So we started talking about it. And then it was like, hey, you're going to lunch. Yeah, I'm going to lunch. And we always talk gaming, always talk gaming, always talk gaming. And finally, he's like, yeah, we should do a podcast. I'm like, that's the dumbest fucking idea in the world, Ben. Why would anybody <laughs> do a podcast? What? I don't get it. Because I, I didn't listen to any of them. He goes, here, listen to this one, this one. Give me like Fear the Boot, a couple others. Listen to these. I'm like, huh, that was fun. We could do that. And I'm like it, sweaty, nervous. I'm like, man, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can do it. He goes, hey, look, here's the deal. We try this and fails. Who cares? I'm like, you know what? Yeah, what the hell? Why not? Can't hurt. The worst thing that happens is, you know, it, it falls apart for some dumb reason. And in the meantime, um, my buddy Lenny and Alpha, our three of us had started this little dark theater app company because the ipad was newer and we've been messing around with making a uh, character folio app for the ipad it was doing okay we're having fun I, we talked to shane hensley and other people in the savage roles community and they were giving us ability to make character sheets on it with their logos and their cool stuff so we've been to gen con and i talked in front of shane hensley's little what's new at savage world seminar i said hey by the way we're this company we got t-shirts old isn't this cool and we're doing this thing and so we'd sell more whatever so I'm like, hey, I'm kind of dipping my toe in this space. Let's see what happens. And uh, we get together. It's probably a uh, an ear sore, really, because our sound wasn't probably all that good at the first one seven <laughs> years ago. wasn't all that good. But once we got we got through, and he's like, how'd you like that? I'm like, that was kind of fun. I'm a little nervous. I probably drank too much for this first one just to try to calm my nerves. <laughs> that was a terrible idea. I need to back that off. I can't, I can't do this buzz all the time, man. Um, but then we started doing, he's like, well, let's just do it every other week. Every other week. Let's just try this. Like every week, that's only a good commitment. And then it was like, well, I'm free. Yeah, I'm free. Ah, fuck it. Next thing you know, it's every week for six years. Wow. Yeah. We, we broke for things like Sean almost getting killed in a motorcycle accident. <laughs> I remember and, that. Uh, yeah. Stuff like uh, stuff like that. Otherwise, it was like every week for six years. And like, it's just so much fun. 
Because again, Sean and I were friends. We built a friendship. We'd done stuff outside of there. I met his wife. We rode motorcycles together. We had shit we did, you know, talk about work, jobs, all sorts of things. 401ks because we're getting older, you know. <laughs> Don't talk about that right now. That's just depressing. That's depressing. We don't talk about that. Now. Let's, not, not, let's not, not even go there. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I, I just love this whole conversation about podcasts. I, I mean, I'm other than Lou being gracious enough to let me in on this one. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a listener, not really a uh, on the other end. And uh, I think what we talked about before a little bit about keeping people together. I think that's the beauty of podcasts and what you've done over the years is uh, you give people a, a window back into gaming who may not even be gaming at the time, but uh, it's a great thing to have for people who are gaming all the time, obviously, because you, you, you know, you, you bring in that information forward, mm-hmm. but also for people who might want to be getting back into it, but just don't have the time right now. It keeps, uh, it keeps that link alive. And I think that's the beauty of what podcasts have done over the years and how they absolutely Sean and I have had some wonderful people that we have met through the con, through the podcast that show up at a con and say, hey, I started gaming again because of you, or I never gamed before, but you guys talked about it. Everybody's having so much fun. And and one of the things that we really wanted to do is, like we are right now, this is who I am. This is the conversation I would have with you. I've, I've talked to Edwin in person. Edwin bailed us out when we had a Game Master flake on us on accident at Gamehole Con, and he ran some some shit for some swords of wizardry for a table that was expecting dungeon world. Like, ah, fuck. Ah, somebody, <laughs> everyone's like, cool, cucumber, cool. I got this. Don't worry. Run over there. Runs a game. You know, it was awesome. But I mean, this is just who I am. This is how we operate. We talked about, there's guys that like the angry GM. He was a guy back. I don't even know if he's floating around anymore, but certain people try to adopt this kind of a, almost like a Howard Stern mentality, like a shock jock thing or mm-hmm. a type of personality. And we're like, man, that's not going to win us. That'll win us some accolades in a way but i'm not going to get the type of people i want to hang out with right then you got to keep that up <laughs> yeah and i'm yeah. like man that's just right. gonna get tiring that's gonna get so tiring you know this is why i certain point hugh jackman doesn't want to do wolverine anymore he's got other shit to do you know <laughs> i mean yeah. let's just let's just be who we are talk about the stuff we like and we had a really big thing at the beginning sean's pushed it more is like be positive there's certain shit that pisses us off and we'll say it like hey i hate this thing about kickstarters i hate this thing about this company type of thing or your local game store pisses me off because. But generally speaking, I don't give two shits how much fun you're having. Are you having fun? Great. Good. How are you gaming? Wow, that is the weirdest bloody thing. I would never play that game. But you guys, you men and women are having a blast. Go. What do you need? You need candy? I'll, I'll, I'll send you chocolate. Just keep doing what you're doing and have a good time. You ain't hurting anybody. You're having a good time. Go have your fun the way you want to. But um, I'll tell you, man, we have, we had a, we had a listener um, number of years back had written in and um, just, it was kind of like, it was just a one-on-one to Sean, like, Hey, I had a very, very difficult time in my life. I had this, 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 and this, and just listening to you two idiots talk about stuff like made me feel better. And I got through this difficult point. Like, Holy shit. I, it's just a stupid gaming podcast, but it was enough that somebody felt like, Hey, I had a connection because they liked the fact that we did listener voicemails emails talk to people we would i I do my best to use examples on the show of people who are talking to us all the time you know i I try to use names of the people who are are engaging with us so everybody knows who these people are you know i was at a con i was at origins the first only time i went there i had a uh i got tapped on the shoulder i turned around and this young lady said are you brett and i said yes i am and she says hey i listen to your show and i said oh that's so cool she said i'm Ange." she said i'm not the famous Ange." 
because she was talking <laughs> about Angela Murray from uh, from Gnome Stew. And I said, oh, but that's cool. That's that's awesome. And she wrote in. I have no idea if she still listens to us. But at that moment, she was just super happy to meet this stupid big uh, middle-aged white guy who was just happy to talk gaming with her. And we just had a blast just chatting over lunch, gave her, gave her a pin. I think her husband or boyfriend was there and we just all talked, had a great time. It was like three, four of us. And it was just awesome. And you don't, through doing the podcast, I meet that stuff. Now, if I bump into you guys, I mean, I met Edwin through the podcast, right? You know? So I see Edwin at a con, I'm like, fucking Hey, it's Edwin, man. How you doing brother? Give a handshake and we talk, you know, that's just, it's so awesome. How do you think, I feel like um, one of the cool things I think is the effect you've had, your podcast has had on pe- people out in the world, including myself and our gaming <laughs> and so forth. But I, I feel like having listened to your podcast, I think from pretty well from the beginning, I don't actually remember when I started listening, but it feels like it was um, a little while It's been a while, while man. It's been a long time. <laughs> it's been a long time. <laughs> it's been a while. But I feel like I have noticed you guys changing uh, oh, yeah. in terms of your how you think about gaming and gamers and how you approach gaming i'm wondering if you're sort of how conscious you are of that and how much you think that's the podcast and how much you think that's just the fact that you know it's seven years further on down the road and we're all thinking about stuff and changing i think it's it's a combination of all of it but i'll tell you right now man if it hadn't been for the podcast there's not only would i not have met you and everybody else i've met through this thing right but i'm like hey i said a thing edwin wrote in and said i disagree with you and Edwin gives me a really good, yeah, you know, and he gives me a really good reason why he's disagreeing with me. I'm like, huh? Oh, so I'm a bitch. That's that's smart. I'd be, I would be an out loud idiot right now to say I just, you know, you're stupid. But why would I argue with him? That's good info. I could, I could take that and work with that. That sounds really cool. I didn't understand that there were certain pieces and parts within the hobby that hurt people or offend. You know, I would hear these stories about horrible things happening to women or minorities and other terrible things. And I meet people. I'm like, you literally had this happening. That's the dumbest goddamn thing in the world. You know, just horrible things in that nature. And then some of the really cool stuff, meeting people and having them say, Hey, I tried the thing you did, but I did it this way. Or, you know, they're telling me about new games and new reasons why they love stuff. And Hey, check this thing out and do that. And I think by engaging in the community, if you, I did my best to keep open-minded and so does Sean, I believe. And we try to try to pick in as much as we can, because if I just stay with my 49 year old brain, that's dumb. There's all these good ideas, all this great stuff. I've said it's the golden age of gaming and I believe it. I really do. There's so much fucking gaming out there, man. Just books and everything. I can't keep track of everything you guys are doing. Loading on everything else is doing, you know, someone say, Hey, Watsy just announced it's like, Oh crap. That's right. Watsy's a thing. Cause I'm get, cause I'll be down in the mines over here working on this other thing. <laughs> forgot about D and D for a month, you know? There's so much going on, but I think being involved in community and trying to be positive and listening to people and um, being open enough to say, you know what, I could do this better because I want to be a better game master. I want to be a better game master out of here. And I want anybody who's listening to us to take everything we've got. And I want them to be better than me. I teach martial arts. And one of the things I've always told my students is I said, you're going to be a better black belt than me. And that's totally fine. At some point you'll be able to kick this old man's ass. I will be proud of the fact that I, that I have helped to shape you and train you and get you to this point that you're an amazing martial artist and a great person. I would much rather have all these game masters and players that listen to us and understand things, listen, all these different perspectives and come back and say, wow, I think I'm a better person and I'm more open-minded and I understand this stuff. And I, I learned that when Edwin wants to argue with me, I don't have to go, you bastard, you know, I get, but we can, we can have a back and forth about this stuff. There's things people like, Hey man, you don't like Savage Worlds. No, I really don't. Yeah, but it's really cool. 
Okay, yep. so we get the guys on and they hammer out Savage Worlds for us like two episodes. We talked about them like, wow, that still sounds like nothing I want to try. <laughs> <laughs> but I, the passion these people have for it is amazing. The people who love it, love it so much. I've said this before. If you love a game that I don't really like, I'll play with you anyway. Because you love that game, man. Let's do it. And that, that alone, by taking that approach... I think I've, I've made myself a better gamer. And I honestly believe a better person. I know that sounds really kumbaya of me, but it, I, I believe it. I think they go together. Sure, yeah. Human growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, uh, we got to the point that you're in the podcast, doing the yep. podcast. Um, <clears throat> you're you're about 380 episodes. Is that what you guys got? Somewhere I think so. Room? Yeah, about that. Almost 400. <laughs> all right. So, and those are all pretty much unique, like every single one, a new topic, a new, new story, new, uh, oh, they're getting old. They're starting to say things over again, man. Uh, yeah, we can't yeah. help it. We can't help it. <laughs> getting that old man syndrome. Yeah, exactly. Did I ever tell you about the time? Oh, there was this time back in episode two. Man, <laughs> no. we do it. What, uh, how does that work out? I mean, so Sean does all going? the, Sean does all the technical stuff and, um, I'll ping him for ideas and, for me, I started to run out of ideas after one. I'm like, fuck, I got nothing. I got nothing. And Sean's like, dude, are you paying any attention to listener feedback? I'm like, yeah, we talk about all the time. He goes, mind that shit, man. Look at these <laughs> topics. These guys are great. So we would say, hey, give me a topic. And somebody would come up with a really, really good idea. And sometimes it was as simple as listening, reading through somebody's um, feedback to the show. And they would say, I'm doing this, this, and this. And I would say, that is really cool. Let's talk about this really cool thing that they just did, the way that they did backgrounds for their character, the way that they did world building. And then I started looking at my kids who are growing up and getting older, my two youngest. I got five total and three three of the five love gaming. And I watched the three of them, like how they're learning different things and what they're doing and when they would ask me how to do something better. And I explained it to them. I'm like, I should make a note of this because they Connor is not the only one. AJ is not the one. Alana is not the only one. These three kids aren't the only three kids. They have this question. I'm willing to bet there's a 20, 30, 40, 50, somebody year old adult out there too, who's trying this thing and doesn't know or has an idea that they think that they might be afraid of. And I think um, getting, getting new ideas and fresh ideas from the community was a big thing. And I think that helped. Sean is very big on <clears throat> growing a community and making sure that we have platforms where we can engage. Our Discord's pretty fun. We don't care if the platform has 2000 people on it or 500. We just want a curated group of friendly people that are, I say like-minded, not that we all have the same opinions on things, but like-minded that we're trying to be positive and nice to each other. They're you for the see, same purpose. Exactly. That's the type of community we want to involve. And it's, I think it's easier to come up with stuff to talk about when I know the type of audience I have by interacting with the, um, by interacting with the listeners, I get a pretty good idea what people want to talk about type of thing. I think that, um, I think podcasts do that, um, just uh they just develop that way as they go along right you develop mm-hmm. your audience they, they all develop a, a, a following and and those people are all and i don't want to say they're all completely like-minded but they're like-minded in that they want to listen to it to pick things out of it to uh for whatever personal reason they have you know we just talked about kind of staying in our own lanes about this is the game we play and i'm really interested in these other games but you know what it sure is interesting to hear what those other games are Right. And yeah. especially people who might be just getting back into the hobby. I mean, I, I, I make no bones about it. I was, I departed from the hobby for uh, almost 15 years uh, between kind of going in the army, getting married, raising kids and, and all that, uh, starting a family and all that. And I was kind of out of it for, for quite some time. 
And then, uh, you know, getting back into it, there were no real podcasts back then, but there were blogs, right? And that's yep. kind of how I stumbled upon a blog um, just out of nowhere. And I hadn't really been even back into gaming, but it kind of pushed me over the edge to do that. And I think that's what modern day podcasts are really, really good at doing right now, too. Absolutely. Is, uh, right. There's in the it, we just talked about it. It's out there forever. Right. I mean, you can go back, look at any episode you want and, and find something, find topics that you're interested in listening to it. Um, uh, I do it all the time because I, I mean, you were just talking about Savage Worlds. I know next to nothing about Savage Worlds other than it's something I, at some point I do want to look, lean into, you know, yep. um, just because it is a big thing. And I, I definitely want to take a look at it um, because there is so much in our hobby. There's no way any of us can can. Curated like all. you were saying, no, not even close, right? And, no. uh, and uh, I think, again, that's another benefit. So many benefits of podcasts. And I guess, again, hearing real life people who we now, now know are real life people, uh, which is a step up above, right? The blog, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, let's, us, let's us do that. And uh, things come out genuine or they don't too. So I think, uh, that's, I think that's a big piece is to have a genuine opinion and to genuinely say and to be honest. Anyway, I was like, I don't know. I think this is what I would do. I have no effing idea. Never done that before. Huh. I'm going to try this Vason game. It read really well. Holy shit. This was a ton of fun. And let me tell you why. Yeah. And we found part of our power was not. If I went out and got Shane Hensley to talk about Savage Worlds, I don't believe my listeners would give a shit. My listeners really like Christian Serrano and Ron, and Ron Blessing talking about Savage Worlds because those two dudes love that game. <laughs> If I got Joseph Goodman, it would be interesting, but Jen Brinkman talking DCC, a lot more interesting. Tim DeShane talking Astonishing Swordsman, Sorcerer's Hyperborea, a lot more interesting because he cares about that thing. When I talk about Basin or when I read Simba Room, I'm like, oh my God, I love this. And Sean like falls in love with uh, Forbidden Lands. I can sell you guys as my friends on stuff, in my opinion, a hell of a lot easier than that something is cool i don't get a penny for it i could give a fuck if you buy it but i want to sell you on the idea that this is really cool and i love it and here's why i think you might like it you're gonna buy it buy that concept from me faster than you will talking to the guy who owns slash runs frog god games they make really good stuff but edwin's a friend of mine if edwin says hey brett man i think you really like this and here's why i'm looking it up you know if a bser tells me hey man i think you guys should take a look at this i look into it you know that i I trust every one of them are going are they listen to us. They understand us. I trust them enough that when they say, Hey, this is something you think, I think you might think is cool. They're doing it from the best place possible. And they're fans. They're fans of the thing as opposed to the creator of the thing. They have no skin in the game other than the fact that I love this. I hope you do too. And, there's, so there's and that is, and that's absolutely. And I think that's a way, way cooler selling point. And uh, I get jazzed up by that shit. Yeah, there's a, there's an empathy that comes through when you actually hear someone's voice, right? And mm -hmm. and I and I write. I'm I'm a writer. That's what I do. Uh, in, in, as far as the hobby goes, as far as paysetter goes, but you know, there's no denying uh, as powerful as that can be, hearing and seeing, or seeing one or the other, uh, or both, um, is powerful. And people make connections with that, right? Yep. And and you you build that level of trust and honesty, and and people can tell, right? I mean. There's people that think people are stupid. I don't, I've never thought that, you know, people can tell, people can tell who is bullshitting them and who's not, which comes back to your podcast, obviously. Um, <laughs> but, they're uh, the ones bullshitting people. They're bullshitting people. Bullshitting people. <laughs> Those were it's our on favorite things. Right one, one, one of our buddies over on uh, Mr. Director Mark for the longest time, somebody said, 
gaming BS. He went, Oh my God, I just got it. We're like, good God, you just got it. We gave him, we gave him shit for that for a long time. It was funny <laughs> as hell. I'm like, it's Brett, Sean plus BS. Come on, God, get it. Well, th- th- that's a thing. There's people like me out there. So there it is. <laughs> Uh, one of the things I was thinking about, Brett, was because uh, you were talking about your uh, your new Pathfinder game, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the things that I, you know, uh, think about you is the Streets of Avalon and the fact that you uh, put out that book. Um, and what I'm thinking though now, what I'm realizing is you probably had or have a dozen worlds that you could have worked up to the point of saying, this is the, this is the world that I want the, I want to put out there in the real world. How did you choose out of your, you know, out of your library? <laughs> what, what, what was it about the streets of Avalon? that was like, this is the one that I want to share with the world. I did. Um, I love, I love the world. One of the fun, funnest parts of RPGs is the world building component as the game master and reading the GM, notes and the cool game master advice from the old dragon magazines or, or the books or whatever I would could get my hands on like the world building stuff was how do you make it hang together how, where's the verisimilitude how does this all work that's just kick ass for me and I love that type of stuff um the reason Avalon stuck for me was because I ran a ton of vampire and vampire tends to be city-based stuff right you've got Chicago by night New York City by night or whatever because guess what vampires in the wilderness don't do so well because the werewolves eat them bad idea <laughs> okay there's more to it than that but short version it's a city-based thing and I my buddy Eric Schaefer he had run when Waterdeep first came out he had some of the uh, the original like Waterdeep in the north and then there was the box set and then there was the city system he had all of that stuff he had big fucking maps of Waterdeep and oh my god we would plow through that city just sections of it and just go through different places and parts and um, he did a really great job of drawing all of these cool elements to it where we, there would be a dungeon call because you were in the sewers or you would go into a keep, which is, you know, kind of like a dungeon, but it's in a, above ground. It's in a blah, blah, blah. We'd have all this great stuff could happen. And I had um, not much of a, of a video gamer, but the original uh, Thief video game had come out for um, for PC ages back and you're playing this guy, Garrett. And it's your whole thing is you're stealing shit. I'm like, oh my God, I really want to run a Thieves World game. I like Fafra and the Great Mauser. I like Conan. I like some of that old pulp stuff and even Thieves World stuff. I'm like, I want to run a game that's just Thieves. And I had a copy of the first edition AD&D Lankmar core book, yep. if you will. I think I, st- I still have that. I know I do. Um, and I read it. I love it. I could never find anybody who was interested in it. Because, oh, it's a city, it's a city, it's a city. No one was, no one would get into it. But when I really, I think I kind of, uh, in my brain, I'm like, oh, I've mastered or really understand what makes a good city game because of all this vampire play I've done. So when I told my vampire group, the guys I've been gaming with at that now 30 years, but when I introduced them and said, hey, I want our fantasy game, but it's going to be in this type of setting. It's this massive city. It's like 100 miles this way, 50 that way. It's this big walled thing, all this crazy shit. Oh, it's a city campaign for Brett. I'm in. Because <laughs> they, they they have you know 15 years of me running city games for them, right? So they're they're up on that. They're like, okay, yeah, this will be cool. This will be cool. And um I had been writing it, and when I say writing it, um, I had no intention of ever publishing the thing, but I wanted to have something that felt like a Chicago by night or felt like a um a document I could give to my players and say, hey, if you read this, you'll understand what's going on in the city because I had some different stuff and I had these weird, these uh liche priests that dealt with the dead differently i had like an ecology of how this would function uh, one of my gamers jay plata who I, hangs out periodically on our um forums or discord who I, I i one of the first guys I ever play in avalon with me 
he was like, what do people eat in the city? If it's really as big and oppressive, I bet they eat slugs. I bet they eat this stuff. I bet they have like pigs because you can have pigs like in a city because they used to do that. And he would feed me all this stuff. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to throw all of that stuff together. And that added flavor. It added more context. And because I had people who I ran it, who were so invested in it. Every time I ran the world, everyone's like, this is really good. Oh my God, this setting is fun. This setting is alive. I feel this is really, really cool. And uh, people would tell me that they felt it was very unique, that there was nothing else like it. So other stuff I had was a classic fantasy city or a world. Great big graphs all over the place and places you could go and the dwarves were dear, different here. Or there's an underground lich layer here. or But it was kind of, it was an homage to Greyhawk, really. I mean, the, the world or frat realms or something. It wasn't that new or different but everyone i ran this for was like this is different it's alive and this is really cool i am not sick of the fact that i'm stuck in this wall building this city i'm i like yeah. here. i want to figure this out i like being part of a neighborhood that actually gives you shit and everybody it's i had i took i wanted to take the noir idea that everybody's got a name everybody's got a story so when you meet an npc it's chelly chelly's this guy he's got this attitude and this appearance that i really started from my vampire stuff leaning into descriptions um not just visual but the smells the taste the sounds and pulling that stuff from my lovecraftian words the weird ass shit you know <laughs> squamish things and you the, the city of seven score smokes from lankmar and pulling all of those wonderful phrases that i knew i'm like these are basically obscure references to some of my gamers because none of you guys have read that shit. This is great. I'm going to steal these. I'm going to steal <laughs> these. Yeah, I'm going to steal these descriptions. But they um, I, anyway, short version, Edwin, is everybody just really dug it. They're like they were having so much fun. And then one of the last groups I'd ran it for before I really dove into it, um, three of the guys looked at me. I was running at work and the guy said, have you ever thought of publishing this? I'm like, well, I kind of kicked the idea around. Goes, this is fucking good. You need mm. to put this out there. I'm like, I have no idea how to do that. And this is pre drive through RPG. Like, I have no idea how to do that. I have no money to go, you know, just right. print a bunch of books and sell them in my garage. I have no idea <laughs> how to even do that. You know? <laughs> but that's how it, that's how it got picked because it was the, the uniquest one, the yeah. most unique. And it was the one that everybody was the people I ran it. Every time I ran it, everybody raved about it back towards me. So, I think so short, sort of, short story is you can get talked into anything, apparently. A little bit, yes. If you say my name three <laughs> times, you fly me with praise. Yeah, I'll do it. All right. I, I was going to throw a question out, but I think that sort of answers it. But, but just to make sure of it here, mm -hmm. uh, I was going to ask, you know, everybody always uh, says, oh, you know, you, you never want to publish your own campaign <laughs> world, man. Everybody and their brother is going to publish your own campaign world. But you're, you're that that ninth or, or no, i guess the, the 10 you know nine out of ten times it's a bad idea you're that 10th time uh and was it just the, the just strong praise that you got that, that gave you the courage to go do that or was there something else uh maybe the uniqueness of, of it being an urban setting well there, uh, that, it's so when you start looking into it you're like oh I, I, and you get the thought in your head like oh i bet i'm the only you're not okay it's been done before <laughs> in fact i have a lankmar book on my shelf means that it's been done before hey guess what frog god brought out oh my god how many you know what bards Bards, Bards, um, Gate. Bards Gate. I'm like, okay, that's a big goddamn city book. That's well done for Christ's sake. How about this? And how about this one? But I felt I had something different in mm -hmm. what I was doing. It's not exactly the same. And um, I started talking to, because of the podcast, to go back to that, I, I showed it to Sean. I talked over with him. He said, hey, we know these, we know the guys at Misdirected Mark. They do encoded designs. You should talk to those guys. They might be interested. So I talked to uh, Phil and Chris and a couple of the others like, yeah, this is really pretty cool. I think this would be kind of fun. 
And uh, Chris had told me, he's like, you know, what we should do is we should do, I want to do an AP anyway. Let's do an actual play. And um, so he's like, let's do a Ravenloft game first and then we'll do your world. I'm like, that sounds great. We run this Ravenloft game. We had a good time. One of the guys, Mark, was, was started with us, uh, then had to bail out. We ended up losing audio. It, it went back. It was a f- super fun campaign. And for us as players in the, in the campaign, we ended up with these wonderful stories. We still tell each other when we see each other at cons and stuff, but it never saw the light of day. Like, ah, oh, that sucks. We should do that again. And Chris like, no, no, no. I said, I was going to run mine. You running Avalon next. I'm like, okay, okay dude, I, I guess. And I'm like, I don't know any of these people. I've never <laughs> run for them. I've played with them, but I've never run for them. Fuck. What if I suck? And then I'm worried about me. So my buddy, Kevin Lovecraft, um, his, that's his moniker. Kevin says he, he would play because we had a, we had a gap. So Kevin and my, Oh, thank God. I know Kevin. Okay, good. I got a safety blanket. I can run this game. You know, I've got somebody who knows me, but then I, I ran it and I decided I'm going to run this game the way I run all my games. I'm going to do my smash cut stuff. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to do this. And then we started releasing the actual plays. And um, I would, my first, my first worry was, am I any good? Are you having fun? Cause I'm, I have a bit of a people pleaser in me and I'm terrified that these people playing in my game think I suck. I'm the worst game master <laughs> on the planet. I'm like, Oh fuck. You know, what if you suck? And that once they got me over that hump, like stop asking me that damn question. If we, if it sucked, we'd have ended it. Right. We're having fun. We don't, <laughs> we're telling you to keep going clearly shut up, Brett. And then they got to the point, like, have you seen the feedback? I'm like, no. And they're like, Oh my God, this world. Oh my God. There's guns there. Oh my God. This thing. Oh, this character. I can't, the characters are so imagine. I love the way the world is set up and they love the way the players were interacting with the world and how they're like, wow, there's this depth to it. There's this thing. And it's all about a neighborhood. It's not just a big city. It's not Tolis where it's this big goddamn tome where you feel you've got to read all this stuff. Like, wait a minute, it's Avalon. You said it's gigantic, but everything took place in a neighborhood. It's just a neighborhood. And then that's when it dawned on me. And Chris and I started looking at it more. We pulled in Sean Merwin and I threw a, a concept at Sean and he's like, no, dude. I'm like, oh, Christ, he hates it. He hates it. He hates it. We get on the phone. He's like, you're too small. Like, what do you mean we're too small? He goes, dude, go bigger, go home. He said, you're burying the lead in half this crap. You got all this wonderful stuff. He said, give me everything you've got. We're going to make a bigger book. He said, it doesn't have to be a massive tome. He said, but don't, don't try to do like a little two 10-page PDF thing. Let's just go, man. There's so much cool stuff here. People need to understand how to build a neighborhood. Show them how to do that. Tell them how to do that stuff because that's where the juice is, man. And um, that's what drove me to it was people talking about it saying, I love the fact that it's about a neighborhood. And then that helped me narrow my focus more. So like, if I'm going to publish this thing, it's going to be about the city as a whole. Yes. How it's set up the magistrates and this function, this function, and what, who's addicted to this type of Lotus and money and all that cool stuff. But the, the juice to me is like, you're going to make your characters. They all belong to a neighborhood. You can move around, post that piece, but you care about this neighborhood for one reason or another. Right. Even if you're just a street thug and that's where you make your money, kicking the shit out of the old people and taking their cash, or you're, you're trying to, you're trying to preserve something, you're trying to save it. You're trying to be, for me anyway, is that bit of dark light in the darkness. It's a very depressing, you know, noir kind of the world sucks, but your characters, are the heroes there, they're going to do questionable shit, no doubt, but it's all about the neighborhood and for the good thereof. They're doing this stuff because it's what needs to be done and nobody else can do it. So let's step in there and go. And I think sort by a- focusing myself, that helped. Sort of an all politics is local uh, kind of idea. Yeah, exactly. I, I joked. What did I say? I said it was kind of like you. Um, the campaign is the campaign's global, but you adventure local. It's a big thing. The thing you do can have knock on effects and the magistrates enact a new law or, hey, guess what? The Griffins, the city guards start cracking down on stuff because of what you all did. 
but you did what you did because of the zombies. Nobody else knows it's because of the zombies, but you did that and you saved the neighborhood because you stopped the zombies, right? That's a big deal. Going back a, a, a tick here, Lou, I, I, uh, I'm wondering if there is a game publisher who did not start by publishing their home campaign. Like, I feel like, I mean, I feel like not, not to contradict you. No, but I feel no, like no, no, but it's every single saying, one of us. Like, yeah. that's what we do. I mean, that's all we, you know, <laughs> it gets, it gets said though, because people are like, well, that's what guy Gax did. That's what Ed Greenwood did. And all oh, that that's, that's been done, Rand. You can't just sell it to TSR like Greenwood did. You got to do this. You got to do that. But I'll tell you, man, I think if you, if you find something you're having fun with, I'm passionate about it. Right. And everybody who's played with it with me is passionate about it while we're playing it. I'm like, this is going to work then. This isn't like some like I, I made a game. I set up this crazy ass fucked up game in a world of darkness setting for my for my home group. I could not. I can't explain it, let alone publish it, because I literally can't explain it. It was like you had to be here. You had to game with me for the last 30 years because I pulled out all the stops of memory and interconnectivity I could get to for everything we've ever done. It was just the weirdest damn thing. We all had a blast. We loved it. We're like, oh, I hope you don't do that again soon because that was a mind fuck. Like, OK, cool. Good time, though. I can't publish that. That was just for us. And that's why my other game settings are like, eh, this is just for my group. We're having fun in it. But hey, Edwin, you want to play this? He's like, so it's uh, Greyhawk, but blue. Neat. You know, it's, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's you know? fine. I mean, I, I play that. <laughs> oh, yeah. But it's not, I'm not <laughs> right. going to rush out and buy it. Or, but I'm not going to buy it. Exactly. Yeah. Or when somebody and, kickstarts Greyhawk, but blue, you're like, uh, okay. And, so. and I'm, I think more importantly, yeah, I'm not going to run it because I can easily paint Greyhawk some color if I want to. Yep. Whereas if you come up with something that, that really is your own, you know, in some way, I think so. Maybe there's some, well, and I think that that was kind of the nature of my questions for, you know, all of us out there that, you know, everybody's got a campaign world. And yep. a lot of people, you know, sit there on the couch, you know, on the lonely day and think, what if I publish this? What, you know, what if I could, you know, have my Greyhawk known to the world? Yep. But but everybody's got that fear in them of, you know, and everyone's been told, ah, you know, the last thing the RPGs, you know, world needs is another setting uh, or homebrew setting or whatever. But But that, that idea that, you know, at what point do you say no? No, this is something special. This is that diamond in the rough. This is that you know. For me, one. yeah, I'll tell you, man. I, I think when people say the last thing the game world needs is, I'm like, well, last thing the game world needs is your ass, right? As soon as people <laughs> start saying that, that just irritates me because I'm like, man, no one said we need a game called Night Witches. I need a game about Russian female pilots dropping heavy objects on Nazis. Nobody asked for that game. That idea is like, huh? Am I going to play that game? I don't know. I haven't bought it yet. I love the fact that it exists. I love that it exists. Oh, I don't yeah. give a shit if somebody's like, well, the world didn't need that. Well, the world doesn't need your opinion. The world didn't need you to say <laughs> that either, you jerk. You know, that's just the, to be positive. And when, when I see somebody creating stuff, one of my, my things like, are you super passionate about it? Have you played it with more than just your home group? And that was a big deal for me. I played Avalon with multiple groups outside of my usual once a month, once a week crew, because I'm like, man, if I don't play this with a guy like Edwin, Sean, Lou, somebody, man, I, I man, what, what happens if it only works for three guys? You know, right. it's just I don't I'm not getting that praise. And it's got to be something I'm passionate about. And the other thing I told myself was I will not retire off of this. This is not I'm not going to be. I've met Ed Green. Would I've talked to him at a, a wonderful opportunity to interview him? The man is not, if he's wealthy, he doesn't show it. I don't think he's a millionaire. People I know in the in the hobby industry that are worth many, many dollars, all were things like lawyers or doctors ahead of time. <laughs> right? they're, they're, they're rich. Yeah. 
they're, they're rich despite being in exactly. Yeah. They, they had something else. <laughs> they had to, to get rich first to yeah. fund their gaming. Yeah, yeah. you know, I'll pull out the joke, right? You know, to make a million dollars is have two million dollars first, right? But the other component is that if you're pat, you have to be passionate about it. And if you're passionate about it, it shows in your discussions, it shows in your product. But if you're doing it because you want to, um, get known, you want to get published, and so forth, I honestly, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy, um, he does a bunch of stuff for Matt Colville. He just put out a video on Colville's YouTube channel and he said, Hey, this is how I got started. Like, if you really want to do this type of thing, publish this, publish this, publish this, publish. but that was kind of like a, look, this is what you're doing. It's like, you, you should like the games you do it for so on and so forth. It's kind of a step-by-steppy type of thing in, in a way with a lot, lot of good info. And I think, but if you want to publish a setting like I did or whatever, you need to really, really like it. You've got to have had good feedback on it. And you, in my opinion, the other, the, the scariest part was, and Phil and Chris could tell you this, like, t- like a week before we went live, I'm like, we should kill this. We can't do this. We can't do this. It's going to fail. It's not going to work. I tried to get him to pull the plug on my Kickstarter. I'm like, I can't do this. I, t- I text him. I texted Sean. Sean, I don't think I can do it. He goes, what the fuck is wrong with you? You did all this work. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm scared. It was like, why are you scared? You big fucking gorilla. What's wrong with you? Just do it. Do it. Come on. You know, because I'm like, I'm like, I'm nervous. I'm really, really worried. What if it flops? What if I'm a failure? At the end of the day, even if it was, nobody would have cared. Right. It's all my like backers. Asking a girl my... to the prom, right? Yeah. I the mean... worst thing that happened is the Kickstarter doesn't happen. And that's where Phil Vecchione from Mr. X is like, right, look, here's the deal. If they say no, we'll just self-publish it. I said, really? Because, yeah, he said, we put all this work in. We've got the book. He said, we can't get some of the cool art. He said, we're just going to put it. We're going to make this book. Don't worry, man. He said, we've put in enough time. We know it will sell. If we can't get this, this help us get the Kickstart stuff and to get the art and some of these other pieces. He goes, we have a plan. Don't worry. Remember, we talked about the plan. Like, okay, cool. Thank you. Thank you. But it's, it, it is nerve wracking. But I think the, um, the fear of the failure is tough. And it's like the first time you want a Game Master. When's the first time you Game Master where you like, all jacked up like hey i'm running a game at a con i don't know any of these assholes i hope it works <laughs> it's tough man it's scary yeah. to look people in the eye and say hey i made something i hope you like it it's hard yep yeah but looking at it like hey i'm passionate this is my hobby eh, if it doesn't work i don't care like it took a while to get there but now nah, that's where i am now if that helps answer your question but it's kind of where i got to i think it's very helpful to people for them to hear that and kind of put their own thoughts in check with it and all that yeah. All right. Um, so you, you got Streets of Avalon out there. You, you've got some adventures for it. It looks like yep. the Iron Shoes and Blacksmith's Folly. Yep. Uh, some supplements. Um, what, what's next? Or is there a next? There is next. Chris and I have been um, I've been working with the Encoded Designs folks. I've been um, cranking through. I like I, uh, I know I, I like running it with I've run my Avalon setting with Pathfinder, Osric. Um, Osric is first edition AD&D. Um, and I've run it with 5e. 5e just happens to be the one that is very common, right? Obviously, it's the big, it's the big behemoth out there. Chris and I uh, from Encoded, we were talking about, hey, I'd really like to get out another version, variation of it. And um, they know Eloy Lasanta from, um, he did, did the PIP system stuff over Third Eye Games. And Eloy and um, Todd Carper got a hold of me and said, hey, you should make a, like a PIP system version of this game. I'm like, yeah, that'd be kind of fun. I don't know when I could get to it. So we got on the phone with the lawyer. He's like, yeah, I don't care, Brad. I know you. Go do your thing. Have some fun. Here, write this document. There, sign your name here that, that, that says you agreed <laughs> to my little terms. All right, fine. You know. So, but because of the passion project, what we're doing is we're taking our time. Like, I have time this week. I don't have time. I have time now. I don't have time. So earlier today, I was writing. Um, I'm taking a bunch of uh, different backgrounds from the D&D 5e Player's Handbook and tweaking, rewriting, creating new ones that, are, that have a much more Avalon feel to them. I put together the trinkets 
uh, little supplement that went out. It was just it, 5e has a D100 list of trinkets. They fit the generic D&D world. Mine is different. You know, mine has like, you know, the left eye, the, the left eye piece from blind man's glasses. That's that's an Avalon thing you would find. Right. <laughs> you know, you know, I've got the the uh, the tooth from like an honest dog. Like, what is that? It's going to matter. Trust me. It's going it, to. We don't know yet, but it's going to be. Important. No, no, but it's going to be really cool. It's going to be neat. <laughs> but <clears throat> I think that so because I'm not at this point, I'm not like making a game system. What it helps me to do is then craft and build things around. So how do I make you so that if you already have 5e, like, wait, I already have this, but I want to make sure the game feels right. Because when Brett's running the game, if you listen to any actual plays I've done, he's doing different things. He's tweaking stuff. Now it's taking that and saying, this is the mechanical way to do the thing that I talked about doing. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're, Chris and I look at the different classes. Um, like, okay, should we do something as, as gutsy as say, you know what? You really cap out at 10th level. Because anything past tenth level in a five e game is like too powerful. It has it has mm-hmm. too much stuff to it. What do I do? How would I change Go these from classes? Batman to Superman? Yeah. How do I how do I change these classes? And you look at some of the things like the um what was it the Lord of the Rings five e version? How they did different things with with some of the five e classes. I've looked at that stuff. And then again, looking at things like Osric and so forth for inspiration. Like how would I take that stuff five e it a little bit so people would understand? Like hey, this is how you a low magic game. There's not a lot of magic items. 5e doesn't have much of it anyway. But anyway, so short version. God, that got well fuck off track. But I'm um, working on backgrounds right now. Chris um Chris has been cranking out um a story. He's he's like, I think I might have like a novella in me. That's maybe kind of cool. I've got this idea. I'm like, oh go for it, man. Right, right, right. Cool. So he's been, I think he's been working on that. And I've been looking at some of the different classes and how I'd like to redefine them. The other piece that I have on my docket is uh, monsters. So one of the things I did in, during the actual play was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to fuck up with these monsters. I want to change my, I want to change the way ghouls work. I, I built a red cap that was a little bit different from my Iron Shoes game. I changed a few other things. So if I'm going to do that, let's do it almost like a Gygaxian way. How am I going to change them so that my, um, the ecology of this creature is working in this world? This is a world where there are no gods. It's just a ball. What's left of Everything is just Avalon, right? This is part of the, the background to it. The rest of the world's the universe is it's gone. There's just like you. That's it. It's just this one world. That's all that's left. Characters don't necessarily know that, but that's part of the background to this. And if you're going to do that, and I'm going to have a displacer beast, or I'm going to have a dark fae, or I'm going to have an extra plane or something, you can't just drop from? it in there. Where the hell did it come from? Why is it here? What happens if I do this thing? What happens if I cast this spell? I've listed spells that I don't allow, but there's been other splat books. How do you go through and say, look, don't do this. Don't do this. These monsters fit. These don't. And then just changing them a little bit, adding into it. I think that'll, that'll be, that'd be fun. Cause again, if you want to run an Avalon game, if I'm not in a jar next to you saying, Ooh, if I were you, I would do this with the goblins. That's no, that's not helpful. You know, it'd be better if I wrote down what the goblins could do in Avalon versus, you know. So you're just going to offer the uh, subscription service where you can talk in somebody's ear. While they're running your hour on game, I was thinking about Peloton it. of gaming. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, there we go. Oh, yep. oh, all right. All right. Second yeah. players. Let me consult my. Uh, <laughs> let me consult my book. <laughs> Take that podcast to another level. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. Real time podcasting. God, that'd be crazy. Uh, <laughs> this is probably nobody's interest but my own. But okay. I, I love system design, and mm. I love the thought of how a game system interacts 
you know, with the setting, with the way and the, the, the game unfolds and feels. Mm-hmm. So you know, Lou, I think you're right. I don't think there's a single person <laughs> in the entire world that gives. <laughs> I know I don't. This is the worst part of the whole show. <laughs> so my question is mm-hmm. converting into the PIP system here. Have you found that it's there are things you have to do to, to maintain the feel of Avalon in that system? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I, I just started playing with the PIP system. I've, I've just like dabbled poking into it a little bit. I know it well enough that I can start poking. Um, so for me, the one of the things I do is I when I make a world, I'm like, oh, I have this really cool idea for setting. I start agnostic of system because I don't give a shit. I have this idea of a world. This is a really cool thing. I'm like, huh, it would be good for this. Is it called Cthulhu Adventure? Yeah, it's called Cthulhu Adventure all over the place. All right, it's a COC adventure. Oh, I'll, be, oh, I'll build something and come up with this idea in my head. I'll think about it. I'm like, that's a Delta Green one, man. That's World of Darkness. That's this. That's this. Um, for me, if I have the setting and I have, a, if I understand all that stuff, then going into a, a mechanics, into the uh, system design, I want to, this is something to Edwin's early point where I've grown, is I would jokingly, because it gets under Sean's skin, I'll say, I can do anything I want to in AD&D. And Sean gets livid because, no, you can't. I'm like, yes, I can. It's just a lot of work. Um, <laughs> but I, one of the things I look for in a system is like, what can I do? Is the core mechanic going to help me right the, the right way? Is the core mechanic kind of got the right juice to it? There's like, okay, hit points are pretty good. That's understood, The blah, blah, blah. But really, I do want the, the system, all those mechanical components and parts to help enforce the tone Hmm. i used to um there's the i said on our show the curated gaming experience right where people if you're playing bluebeard's bride if you're playing um uh monster of the week or some of the pbta games they are a very curated experience and at first i thought that's dumb why would you do that i thought wait a minute there's some brilliance in that right because it's, it's like dialed in it's all dialed in if it's dialed in really well i think it's easier for people to really get into it so Call of Cthulhu, for instance. I love Call of Cthulhu. I always have. Great game. You can play Call of Cthulhu in multiple timelines, different ways and approaches. Delta Green is a very curated experience for a Call of Cthulhu game, in my opinion. Sort of one instance of it, yeah. Yeah, one instance of it. But Call of Cthulhu itself is a little broader, much like D&D is D&D fantasy land. Like, how are you playing D&D? You playing Dragonlance, Greyhawk, tick, 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 all the old school. Yeah, all they're they're just different. They're just all different. And there's ways that you need to be able to have the system enforce what's going on. Because I'll tell you, man, tone is one of the hardest things to to maintain. So as I look at the PIP system and so forth, I'm like, how do I do this and not get silly? How do I do this and not make it feel like I just put this huge bolt and just screwed it into the system because I have to do that to maintain tone? Then it's like this big glaring stop sign. You feel like a dummy. You want it to feel as natural as possible and like, oh, these choices are limited here or this is how this functions because that's the way the world works. I want the verisimilitude. I want that internal thing to to work. If I'm using like uh, Swords and Wizardry and I'm playing in a Swords and Wizardry style game, generally speaking, it it doesn't have to be like a world if it's just a Swords and Wizardry thing, right? Um, It kind of, it's kind of, how do I, maybe a better example is well, one bad example, in my opinion, one thing I don't like that Wizards of the Coast is doing with their big with their big books is like everything's in it all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. 
There's Dragonborn everywhere. There's this. There's that. You have to have all the races because they're all out there. They're all right. available in some way. I have to account for the fact that some, for some reason, some way, I have an elephant person in Icewind Dale. Yep. Because or a turtle or yep. whatever's going on. <laughs> this it can get very complicated, and I feel that by building a setting and then tuning it as I did with Avalon, saying, "Look, there's no sorcerers, no paladins. Sorry, no gnomes. There are no dragonborn, no tieflings. I cut, 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 cut." I know that may turn some people off, but to maintain the tone, I'm like, I need to trim this because if I allow it, then it's a level of uncontrollability that just doesn't, it just doesn't fit. It does not fit in the old uh, Pathfinder days in D and D three and three, five, when there were prestige classes, if anybody remembers those, right. You go through so far and get to be the next thing. Well, what I would do is I would make the Paladin a prestige class. Cause I'm like the Paladin should be a prestige class. It's like, you got to build your way up to be this kick-ass dude. Right. That was just opinion I had. So I would do that in my Avalon games. I'd make it a prestige class for sometimes or whatever. But I didn't want oracles. I didn't want witches. I did not want summoners. I didn't want this, this, this from all the latest books. I would say no, 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 no. And the only re- when my players would say, yeah, but I think it fits. I'm like, give me a good argument because it's got to fit. If it don't fit, it ain't going to work. So anyway, short version is as I'm looking at the different rule systems, and trying to figure out what we want to do. And as Chris and I are looking at the classes, like, what is it about a standard ranger, standard barbarian, standard fighter that skirts the edge of what's Avalon? What, what, what maybe shouldn't be there? Huh? I don't know if rangers should cast spells. Make a note. Maybe rangers don't cast spells in Avalon. What else could they do? You know, what else should they be able to do? Uh, well, I don't like the fact that barbarians can do this. All right, let's make a note. How, what else would we do to make it Avalon? You know, how do you, how do you make it fit that? Because again, tone is such a pain in the ass. The four of us have had a bad, we've had a bad day at work. We all show up and, um, you know, it's really easy to just have everything go off the rails, but Mm -hmm. if you've got all the right stuff to maintain tone, it works better. Sorry, Ed. No, I was going to say that's a, I was thinking about, as you were talking, I was thinking about the, the sort of PBTA idea of, playbooks mm-hmm. um and the curation of tone that that like i feel like there's something interesting in that and i think it's one of the things i don't like so much about pbta although i have had i think like you i've had good times playing it but it's not a system i would choose to play yep. probably um but it is a uh in some ways it's an exclusive world it's saying here is what you can do right here are the six playbooks and here are the moves that each of these playbooks have and obviously, you know, you're going to push it as, as a role player, but that, that's sort of the, whereas something like D&D or even Call of Cthulhu is a, here's a, like a monstrous <laughs> breadth of things you can do and be. And then it's up to us as the GM, as the players, as the, we're making this instance of the game to say, this particular setting does not have gnomes in it or whatever it is, but the yep. game as a whole is a, is a monster. I mean, it's so broad and it's so unwieldy. And of course you can have a game that includes everything, or you can have a game that is, you know, we're going to have a human centric world and we're going to do this, or we're just going to be dwarves or we're just going to be thieves. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that's, so so it's interesting. Like, I feel like whenever I play PBTA, I'm always trying to, or, you know, any of the, yeah, I'm always trying to like break out of the confines of it. But whenever I play or run D and D, I'm always trying to confine, right? <laughs> like somewhere say, in the middle. I think there's so 
for those of us who've been doing it for a long time, or when you do whatever it is, or so I'm going to say this. So an OSR style game, first edition AD&D, when there's no skills, you care, unless you're a thief, you have no skills. Maybe Ranger is tracking or something. So your fighter wants to check for traps. The DM says, what do you do? The fighter says, well, I take my 10 foot pole. I tap, I tap the floor solidly, then the walls, I go to the ceiling, and I go back down. The fighter right. can always find traps. I yeah. walk forward. I walk forward. <laughs> Damn, there he goes. I throw my you hit know. points out. Yeah, exactly. Or yeah, throw my hit points in front of it. Yeah, exactly. Or you say, hey, I I pour water on the floor and to see if it goes somewhere. Because yep. you're like, I'm, I'm doing, I don't have a fucking thief. I can't make a die roll, but I want to try to logic my way out of this. Yep. It's a much more talky event in a what people call the modern, quote unquote, right? Like make a skill check. Skills are wonderful for this because if you're learning to play a role-playing game system, skills, playbooks, and so forth, what can I do? That's one of the hardest things for a new player of any game system, any game, I, I believe this, to get a hold of what the hell can I do? I'm playing feng shui. What can I do? Feng shui is a crazy ass. I've not walk on bullets. Like, oh, I, can, I didn't wait, know wait, that. I, I, can, <laughs> I can literally walk on fucking bullets. You, holy shit, I can walk on bullets. This is amazing. You know, I can eat bazookas. I can eat a fuck. I can eat a bazooka. I can do that. Well, Unless you, by having those curated experiences, I think it is easier to push the edges than it is to pull them in yeah. from a game master. Yeah. I would rather deal with people saying, I know my playbook says X, but I'd like it to do X plus two or X yeah. minus three. I'll give you that if I do it because that, that those mechanics help you do that. And um, a larger game, I call them toolbox games, like your D&D, your Call of Cthulhu. They're, they're milieu to a point, like this is Cthulhu, Lovecraftian horror. But I do want to trim it down to the adventure a buddy of mine for my home group he was run to run um horror on the orient express awesome adventure we're so we're going through this having a blast i was the only person in the group that made a character that fit the game everybody else had weird ass one of a kind lion tamer shit you not fucked up why are you here like it was like this weird ass free fall and my buddy was going bananas so he shit cans the game He's like, this is, I just can't believe it. He goes, why did they do this to me? I don't understand. And I, we were talking about it one day, sitting outside having a drink. And I said, you know what's going on, man? As I said, you gave them no limits. They kind of understood. I said, but only I really knew what was going on. And I said, Beta wasn't in, and he was kind of in or out. He wasn't sure if he was going to play. And I said, but you didn't give any boundaries, man. So they opened the book and looked for the most interesting profession they could find. If you would have said, which I believe you should have, I want antiquarians, librarians, um, a police officer, <clears throat> this, this, this. I said, look at what I did for Delta Green last time I ran or my World of Darkness game. I said, I want a, a combat medic, a communications person, a this, this, this. That's what you need. Okay, cool. We'll make those. We'll have a blast. Nobody argued with me. They were like, oh, these are my limits. Awesome. Because they wanted to know what the boundaries were. Because if I didn't give them any, then I let them run way the fuck over. And I used to do that in the old World of Darkness days. I would say, make whatever the fuck you want. I'll make it work. I don't, I'm not interested in that challenge anymore. I've done that. That's fine. Now <laughs> yeah, I'm more interested yeah. in like, I want to have a really good experience. And one of the best ways to have really good experience is to make sure that this person, when Anne shows up with her, you know, gangrel warlord, she doesn't have to argue with this dumbass who made, you know, a Tremere who walks around in clown makeup. You know, I, I don't want to deal with that. Put the limits in place. And some of those games, man, when they curate the experience for you, it puts the boxes around there. But the cool thing is it's always a cyclone fence. It's always a chain link fence. You could see what's on the outside of that thing. And a fence is only a couple feet high. I could step over it. Right, you can push, you push a little bit. You can always, <laughs> it's got some give, you know. But uh, if you, I think you're right. I think that's, 
if you're using the larger toolbox game, I believe it's incumbent on us to, as game masters and players, to try to figure out where the, to try to squish it up a little bit, just to make it digestible. Or coherent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's like in the old but, days with, with GURPS and some of those uh, generic yeah. systems. You know, it's a stack of books, literally two feet high. Everything's available. Really? really? <laughs> <laughs> How about we take away all the cinematic stuff, you know, so, or whatever. So anyway. Well, that's, that's always been the traditional, you know, uh, kind of knock on RPG games versus board games, right? It, it, way back in the 70s, it was the, uh, the board gamers, war gamers, we used to call them, versus the RPGers. And I, I started in the war game side myself was, you know, you had rules. You've codified rules for your war game. And that was the rule was the rule was the rule. That was it. And you knew them and you played them or you were wrong. So yeah. RPGs come along and there's rules, but they're more like guidelines, suggestions and guidelines. Um, you really should stick to this, but right. So that creates a whole uh, conflict there. And I think that, that that's never ended. Right. And it's always an expanding universe in RPGs. Like, you know, obviously we're talking about D&D right now, you know, Wizards of Coast D&D. I mean, I, you, there is no way any one person right now can, can control all of that. In, no, in any, you can't. It's just impossible. You know, and, and you know, like D&D, I mean, this is not new to the, to the game, right? Nope. Second edition came along and it was, the term was what's flat book city, right? I mean, <laughs> holy shit. Every time you turn around, there's a new book, book of this book of that. And, you know, there's a book of paladins and there's 12 different types of paladins. Yeah. I mean, the ultimate curated gaming experience is like poker, right? Right. Chess. It's it. But, that's it. I mean, you have a finite defined setup, right? In <laughs> yep. a board game. So, you know, that type of deal. So the four of us play, I'm running a game. I've never played with Edwin before. So he does. Is, oh, actually, we, I have. I think we have. Did we? Or did we we not? have not. We have not. That's horseshit. Or I would fix that. Anyway. Fix that. But anyway. So, so I haven't played with Edwin. And I come to find out that Edwin's a goddamn tactical genius. That son of a bitch is eating up all my stuff. Oh, my God. He's destroying my can't destroying, quote unquote. Ha, ha, ha. My campaign. I had this wonderful thing. Now, if I run the exact same game with the two of you, but without Edwin, but with my daughter. It's going to be way better. Who, it's good. now first off, way better. She's smarter, better, just awesome. But she doesn't give a shit about the tactics. She loves a good fight. Don't get me wrong. But from a character perspective, she's more interested in plots and mysteries and so forth. And she would try to figure out what's driving the this. And I'm making it up, obviously, Edwin. But you, all it takes is one person to show up at your at your game who is a different approach. And the rules are like, you know, here's an encounter. What y'all gonna do with it? Right. It, 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 exactly. <laughs> and, in, and in a board game, you're like, here's an encounter. Um, first thing you do is you flip the card, then you roll the dice, you check your right. bogs and you move your things. It's, you know, it, worker placement, whatever it is. It. So I, that's the beauty and the that's the art form behind yep. RPGs. Yeah. All right. We, we got a long program still ahead of Damn. us here. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. So I, I know we, we definitely want to get uh, want to pick your brains on the whole you know how do you run a city campaign how do you make mm -hmm. it work well so let's put all questions that might have anything to do with that on a shelf for a minute sounds good um i know i, I th the last few things i wanted to ask you about is uh your involvement with evercon and then bs or con yep so i'll start with bs or con because that one's faster and easier i was going sean said hey i want to run an online con i'm like dude that sounds awesome i have no time because i know you have no time i said but i want to i want to i will support you you're my partner i'll run games Brett's so, about to give some bullshit excuse, but I was about to play in his game. And so he had to come up with some reason not to yeah. anyway. 
I had to, I had to, my, my mother has dementia to put her in a home. <laughs> See? No. What, exactly. Exactly. I mean, I had to go so far. So, no. So legitimately, um, my dad ended up in the hospital because trying to take care of my mom, it was a huge family medical health thing. I'm like, Oh fuck, I can't run this game. And I, I dealing with the family stuff was quite frankly, it's depressing. You know, you watching your mother's mind rot. This is, it's just, it's a horrible, terrifying thing. If anybody's ever dealt with dementia in any way, shape or form, it's terrible. And it's, I hope nobody else ever yep. has to deal with it. So I'm doing that, doing this, figuring this out, taking my dad to the hospital, figuring out why his body's failing him, getting him better. And then I got like, I got to bail out of, out of BSRCon. I feel like a complete jackass. And Sean's like, what is wrong with you? You have real life problems. This is a game. So, you know, again, though, the cool part about the podcast community is everybody's like, it's okay. You dummy. It's fine. Go take care of your family. Yeah. So um, the cool thing, though, is that because the community that we built up there, it, we had a really good showing. Everybody had a good time. I didn't hear anything bad. Everybody said they had a great time playing games and they missed me. So that was really nice. <laughs> Evercon, that was kind of what got Sean into thinking about game, uh, running a game con is uh, Evercon's a local con here in Wausau, Wisconsin, started by the DC Everest Gaming Group ages back. I, I graduated from Everest and of course they started the gaming club after I graduated, bastards. Um, but they have been running it in the junior high for God ever, like 15 years or something silly. And it... Wow. it and you have all the limitations thereof. You can't do this, can't do that. It's just a pain in the ass. And the the teachers and a couple of the people were trying to run it were like, this is where I got like my job at a certain point. I'm like, look, this needs to get done. This is hard. Fuck it. Get out of my way. Give me that. So a number of us just, we basically took the con and said, look, we're going to take it outside of there. We're going to make it a real live con at a convention center. And we set it up, ran it for about five years and then sold it off, gave it back to a couple other people. Like, look, I'm done. I do not have any more time for the stressful thing. But now it runs. So COVID hit. <laughs> they had to go virtual. This year they actually had it, and it was done really well. They did some stuff that I didn't like, but I'll, but much like everything else in the game, I'm like, huh, I like that. Whatever, I'm having fun. <laughs> like, I'm going to do their cosplay thing. That's not my bag. Go do your thing, whatever. But it's a great it, – that was also one of those places where I learned the first year we had, I had Ken Height as a guest. I'm like, I got Ken Height. This is fucking awesome. Nobody knew who Ken Height was but me. <laughs> I mean, I had a thousand people at that gaming convention. I could count on one hand the number of people who knew who Ken Height was. I felt like a complete tool. I'm like, I paid for this guy to show up here. He wasn't like outrageously expensive, but I took care of him, did the right things, did all those. He was friendly. He was super nice, outgoing, ran games. Great guy. I'm like, wow, no one in this con cares about that. What they care about is just gaming. Just pure ass gaming. You know, if you show up and run a seminar, no one cares. I'm like, huh, Okay. Let's just knuckle in and we got more and more tables and more and more stuff. And as long as there are people like asses and seats rolling dice, the happier the con was like, they want more options and more stuff and more stuff. So our promise to the, uh, the new con organizers was like, look, we we're going to get, we're going to dump the con to you guys, take it and run. I promise you I'll run at least two to three games every con as long as I can. So that's what we do. We show up and we run games. Our games are full. We have a great time and it just helps to um, kind of feed that engine and it's great. The gaming club is still involved. My kids go to a different school in town here, but they show up, they bring their friends. My oldest boy got, uh, got on leave from air force. So he came up to hang out with us and go to the con. Cause he's a big gamer. So it's a lot of fun. It's one of those, one of those things where I'm like, this is a local con that needs help. I, at the time I'm like, I have the time facility and capability to help you guys out. I can reorganize this thing for you with my other, with my other friends. And between, uh, Chris Alpha and I, we got them, we got them beaten into shape and now it pretty much just runs. It's really good. How uh, how big? I mean, obviously, COVID's probably the, the rebuilding, but at its height prior to COVID, how big did it get? 
Uh, less than 2000. I think we would probably go 1100, 1200. Oh, wow. That's yeah. still real significant. I mean, that's all told. I mean, it's a, yeah. it's a, fr- it's half a Friday, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. Nice. That's also when I learned the first time through is like, I am not going up until like midnight. This is dumb. Cause I ended up with like five kids who couldn't find their parents. I'm like, oh. it is now two in the morning and this, and this 10 year old <laughs> kid, I can't get him home. I'm going to have to call a cop shortly. Cause I'd like to go to bed. So we changed the hours a little bit and, change, and organized things better, but it was, uh, it's a, it's one of those pieces like Edwin talked about the local con up there. It's just, the, that's fun stuff, man. Those smaller ones. And when I say a thousand, they're not all there at once, you know, 500 people, but it's a fair size facility. So you're all milling around doing different things. It's, it's a lot of fun. Well-behaved crowd too. Really nice. Well, why don't we, uh, we got a couple letters from some listeners. So let's get into that segment. Letters from the Homeowners Association. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. Wonder who it's from. My opinion is letter writer is a total wacko. All right, we have two letters. Got another one in just under the wire before we uh, sat down to record, which is kind of cool. So our first one is from John Williams. He was the one that had asked us about the uh, the Hobbit movie last episode and what we would do to it. And I, I got to say, John, man, I felt really... You know, looking at the episode as I was, you know, editing it and stuff, I felt really ashamed. That I, I just didn't have anything for you. So you uh, wrote us back and uh, he, he kind of gave us his take on it. And I, I this this is what we should have uh, come up with here, man. You have a you know, just uh, I, I can tell you have a, uh, a deep love for this movie and, and some great ideas here. So uh, this was kind of what John was thinking. He says, uh, I asked about The Hobbit because right now it's my three year old's favorite movie. And the comic book version of the uh, book is his favorite book right now. Since the movie was made for TV, the length of the movie feels short. Not a dig at you all. I think the whole experience would be better if they could extend it to maybe 90 or 100 minutes. I think there's some sound mixing issues with the animated The Hobbit that I would fix. Some of the songs and loud music drowns out some of the dialogue at parts of it. And the scene of the lake with smog attacking could use more sound effects for smog instead of silence. This might also allow for some of the songs in the movie to be extended and experienced without the constraints that they had to put on them. I would extend the beginning scene of the tea time with the dwarfs. I would add uh, Bjorn back into the movie. I would re-edit it so that it would be more of a theatrical format instead of the made-for-TV format it has which would basically remove change the parts that were, are meant to be right before and right after the commercial breaks. I wonder if adding the Arkenstone back into the story would be good or not. It might be worth it. I think the few action scenes that are there are when they're fighting goblins in the tunnels and when Bilbo fights the spiders in the forest are kind of trippy. I'm not sure if the overall effect is worth keeping or if it would be worth redoing them in a more traditional depiction of action to represent the scenes in the story. I think the dwarves being locked up in the wood elf dungeon could be extended, as well as having a bit more time showing Elrond's last homely house in the east. The ending being a bit longer might be good, extending all the stuff they show him doing on his way home from the adventure. Love you guys and thanks. Well, thank you, John. I, I really appreciate yeah. this. You know, I, that is far more eloquent than anything we had to say that night, especially myself. Um, I know when we were uh, kind of doing the pre-show stuff, talking with Brett, uh, he kind of hit on some of these notes that you had with the, the sound editing stuff. He said that he, well, Brett, I'm going to turn it over to you. Yeah, John, I, I, I don't know if you know this, man, but I have a VHS copy of it, the which I consider the original. I still have that. Yep, that's the exact one. That's, that's the one I got. And um, I also have the digital version on a DVD. 
and uh, holding it. <laughs> and a digital and a digital one I bought through uh, iTunes. <laughs> Third <right>? one. <laughs> so they changed the foley on it. all the sound effects are different. The roar of smile again, the VHS is much deeper, more brutal than the kind of crackle crackle in the digital version. There are sounds in the digital version of Remastered. when they're in the goblin when they're in the goblin tunnels and the rock wall slides. There's actually sounds of the rock wall sliding when the VHS those don't exist. There are there's a component during the 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 telling of the how Smog took over and whatnot. There's lines that the actor for Thorin says in the digital version that he doesn't say in the VHS version. So whoever if somebody could get that shit together because you know. Richard Boone's voice is amazing as Smaug. It's just, it's just great. It's a great fun thing. I just fixing the Foley on that sucker, get the sound effects lined up. If you took the two made them better, that itself would make that movie better. The other, the other thing that the only thing shouldn't say the only, the largest thing that bugs me is they kill too many dwarves at the end of the movie. Bomber's dead. Bomber gone to do, do, do. There's only six or something left at the end. And that's not true. Feely, Keely, and Thorin, that's it. Everybody else lived. Um, so that irritated me. Um, but other than that, the other thing I thought was interesting was like the, the take on elves. Tolkien has never indicated like elves have a certain look to them. And the way that they did the wood elves are kind of like this weird, creepy. There was a, I can't remember the artist, but there was a fairly popular artist who had a similar look for elves and gnomes and things. I remember seeing large coffee table size books about that time period, but yeah, that's a the elves are a little creepy, but yeah, man, if they could, John, if they could mix the 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 sound effects from the two movies together, I think you'd have a hell of a lot better better film in general. So I'm I'm gonna take this this quest on myself. So there, the the DVD version, there was one version that was out forever, and they came out with a remastered deluxe edition. I trying to look on the box when this came out. Uh, I'm not seeing it on here. But anyway, I'm going to take it upon myself to listen to this and see if I can spot any of those fixes or change in, the, in this. Because I know it's not exactly the same as the original DVD. Yeah. Uh, even the runtime might be slightly different. So I'm going to I'm going to listen to this one and uh, and see if I can spot some of those things and see if they're actually awesome. corrected. But it, it, yeah, I mean, and we didn't, to, to be fair, uh, when we first answered this question last podcast, I think we got more got caught up in how cool it is versus in talking about those kinds of things. So, you know, could this movie be longer? I, I, I believe so. I think, you know, whenever I watch it, I always feel like shit, this really could go on. I, I'd be really happy if this went on for another 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, it feels like it just cuts off. I mean, now to be fair, the, the Hobbit book kind of just cuts off, right? It, everything gets done. It's like, Oh, and they went back to the Shire and everyone was happily ever after. Um, nice so, fairy tale you know, ending. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, to, to be fair, it's, it's got some of that in there anyway, but, um, yeah, I do think, you know, the, the whole Bjorn chapter not being in there, uh, in the animated version, you know, that, that would be cool. I mean, there's, there's things that, that could be done in here, um, to make this, you know, a longer movie that said, obviously we're never going to get another Rankin Bass version of it. Um, it would be a new, a new, new animated. Version of it. No. and I, I honestly wouldn't have any heartburn over that. I, I, as much as I absolutely love this version of the movie. Um, I wouldn't have any heartburn with a, a newer one coming out. You know, if they could stay true to the book and get away from Peter Jackson entirely, um, that, that would be my caveat because I, I think it would be well-served. I think it'd be well-received too, honestly. Yep. Absolutely. Um, but I, so, I can, uh, I, Bill, I, I, I got a director for you. How about uh, Tim Burton? 
I think Tim Burton could probably do that. Oh, really? I was, I was looking to stir you up. <laughs> Dang, got it. No, I, 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 I don't think that would be a horrible choice. I mean, you know, he's he is more versatile than we think, you know. Yeah, so, that is true. Um, you know, he, he might be a little over the top, but he would certainly do that. I think he would keep the elves the way Rankin Bass through the elves, right? <laughs> so uh, uh, I actually love that. I, I love the elves. They got that German accent. They're hilarious. Like it's, I think they're great. Um but uh, so I, I think the comments um, uh, by our, our, our author here is uh, they're, they're spot on. I mean, I do think this movie does seem a little short. I think there could be a little bit more to it to give it more substance. But I think you also have to go into the, the context of how this movie was made, what, why it was made. It was a made for TV movie. It was not released in theaters. Um, and I think that's why we have what we have, but what we do have to me is still an absolutely amazing piece of, of filmmaking. All right. Got a second letter here. Like I said, this one literally came in, I don't know, maybe like an hour before we recorded. Uh, so anyhow, uh, Peter Skeins writes in great episode, period. Hey, that's, uh, that's good enough right there. Let's and we're done. Right there. Yeah. That's excellent. <laughs> Thank you, Peter. <laughs> Uh, he says, I, I thought it was a great review of the first Gamma World modules, offering a lot of tips and info. I was wondering if any of the hosts had any experience or read the 7th edition GW version. And if so, how does it compare? Thanks and keep up the great content. Spez Baby, a.k.a. Peter. All right. Well, um, so in Earth B, Lou Alu has uh, read 7th edition Gamma World because literally at Christmas time, I was at a half price books. They had one on the shelf, flipped a coin to decide whether I was going to buy it or not. And it turned up tails. So I didn't. So somewhere out there in another dimension, I've read it. It's, you know, <laughs> but, but I have researched it at least, you know, how about you guys? Anybody seventh edition Gamma World? Nope. I, yeah, I, I never got into Gamma World at all. A, really? friend of mine, a friend of mine had a box set of it. We like were early high school got together it was more screwing around and making weird mutant characters than actually playing and then it and then it wrapped up and that was about it we didn't really didn't play it i just remember as a kid seeing it in the uh, mail order catalog and uh, seeing all the covers with the anthropomorphic animals and the oh, mechas yeah. and things and be like oh man that was awesome but i i never got to play it till i was an adult yeah but uh so Gamble I do world have... seventh edition uh, you you have it oh yeah all right there yeah. it is uh, right there. there it is so um <laughs> And I have read it. It is a, it is a, it's a good version of Gamma World. I'm, I'm, I love, I'm a huge Gamma World fan. So for me, there's no such thing as a bad version of Gamma World, honestly. Like <laughs> so, um, do you think, do you think he's, do you think Peter here is asking about the seventh edition Gamma World or the seventh edition Gamma World version of uh, the Golden Army or the Golden Legion? So Legion I'm, of gonna, I'm about to get there. So, um, <laughs> Included in some of them, or you could buy them separately, were two adventure books. This is a weird set, by the way. And, and Gam World Seventh Edition is is basically D and D Fourth Edition. Yeah. Oh, I have played it. I it played is. that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I did play yeah. that game. It's, not, it's a fine game. I, I love it. It is. Yeah. That's I, fun. I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll say on the record, I enjoy D and D Fourth Edition. I actually think it's better than Third. So, um, but again, I'm a war gamer from way back, so I kind of <laughs> enjoy I enjoy that aspect. But in uh, like I said, I, I can't remember if I had to buy them separate. They came together. I think they were separate. Uh, they did come out with, again, the, after I get the camera on it, Legion of Gold adventure book. Cool. To be fair, I will tell you right now, I have not read it. Um, 
now that I got it out, I think I'll probably maybe flip through it tonight and read it and see how it compares to the original Gam World. It's going to be a lot different than the than than probably the you know the one E Legion of Gold Adventure module. I can just tell flipping through here right now, um, it's significantly different. So, um, but I'll be interested to see, and maybe I'll, uh, I'll we can kind of table this email a little bit toward the next podcast. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll hook give back you a around quick the next time. Yeah, and and what I see, I mean, I I could just I could tell just by looking at it, it, it definitely looks like a. They got moon monsters in here, a teleportation facility. Uh, it's definitely going to be different. Yeah, no, I I looked at just the write up on it online when we were doing our last episode, and and from what I could tell, you're right, Bill. It's it's got I think it has some of the bugum stuff in it, but largely it's just a whole other thing. Yeah, it looks it, it really does look like a giant monster supplement when you just flip through it. But um, I'll 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 put that on my homework assignment. I'll take a look through Legion of Gold and, and the other one. I think you have Famine and Fargo might be the other one that's in there. Uh, they have two two adventure modules that came out for it. It's a cool system. So I mean, if, we're, if I'm just going <clears> to <throat> talk on that, I mean, if you get a chance to pick it up and you want to play more of a skirmish game based on Gamma World, um, it's it's uh, it's to me it really leans more toward tabletop board yeah. game than it does yep. an RPG, but um, in the same way that 4E did that with D&D. Uh, still, to me, it, it's cool. They put some money into this game when they developed it. There's there's uh, tokens in there. There's cards for your, for your mutant powers that you can put with your character. There's some cool things. There's some, there, there's some good ideas that they did in this, this version of Game World. But as far as Legion of Gold, I'll, I'll definitely have to put some... I, I have not read that, so I'll uh, but I will between now and next podcast, and I'll give you a two-minute cool. report on it few things I can throw in just from reading about it. Um, it's kind of the basis for what became the Ravenloft uh, box game. Uh, the same kind of engines run in there. And then um, from what I could understand, the, the mutant powers is the part that a lot of people kind of poo-poo. I, I guess in it, you draw cards to see what yeah. your mutant power is. And it changes like every other round or whatever. It so it's like Yeah. There's a <laughs> couple <laughs> hundred. Yeah, there's a couple hundred cards in here that go with this game. I mean, it... Yeah. it, it it is different. I, I, I'm, I'm going to say it, like I said, out, out front. It's, it's a little, not a little uh, Numenera-ish in that way, too, of getting your... Uh, like a deck building... Yeah, oh, getting ciphers. your Numenera that... Yeah, that ciphers. Yeah. Ciphers that yeah. keep... Uh, like, well, you've got this one. Now I've used it. Okay, well, now I find a new one. It's yeah, kind of like having yeah. mutant powers that keep changing. Yeah, well, and apparently there was some sort of... They wanted to do some sort of collectible card version of this. Yeah. To add on mm -hmm. to this. I don't know where any of that... Ching, ching. I'm not... I'm, yeah, I'm not that much of an authoritarian on it. I bought it late. I didn't buy it when it came out. I, to be honest, I bought this copy a couple of years ago. Um, I picked it up. Uh, they're still readily available if you want to go grab them. But you're right, Lou. It, it definitely um, it came out like it, like a pre. It came out right when all those giant D and D box tabletop games, the miniatures came out. Um, that was the time frame of this thing. So thank and you, Peter. That's all I got on it. And we'll get back to you. Yeah. yeah. Um. I got a new idea and I should have ran this by you guys, but I'm just going to throw it out there and I can edit out later anyhow. So um, a couple of you guys are from the Midwest. You guys remember the Bozo show? Oh yeah. Yes. All right. You remember the, uh, the at home uh, contest where like you set your little. Oh yeah. You said your card in, in and yeah. yeah. If, if, the okay, kid, so if the kid threw enough, uh, he, he was basically playing a, a youth friendly beer pong. <laughs> um, yeah. And if, and if he won and your name was drawn, you got the same prizes. Yeah. Yes. All right. So, uh, starting the next episode, I'd like to try something with our geek credit. I'd like to do an at home winner that, um, 
you send us an entry. You just got to put your name and a way to contact you. You send that to the this old dungeon at gmail.com. And uh, if the person gets their geek credit, we will ship you something. Uh, I, love it. I, I got stuff I like from buddies, it. from things they've made. I've got my own stuff. I, I know Bill said he had some oh, stuff a while boy. back. We got all kinds of stuff. So, uh, this so is starting the, the next uh, episode. The wait, yeah. wait, don't tell you, tell me model of uh, <laughs> NPR quiz show that they bring a celebrity on. And if they win, they're, they're playing for somebody else. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yep. Yep. I love it. Cool. I like Great it. Idea. We'll, we'll get it and name it random and we'll announce who that is before like, yeah. the uh, celeb does the game. And All right. That, that, that's good. Cause that puts a little bit of pressure on the, on the guest. Uh, yeah. I like, <laughs> yeah. That. It's, like that. As long as it's next time. Yeah, next time. <laughs> hey, next time, next time. <laughs> All right. So if, if you have an entry or if uh, you're like Peter or John and you want to send us uh, an email, tell us about your experiences, um, fixing an adventure or ask us questions or whatever you got. We want to hear from you. It's, it's the highlight of my week when I see we got listener mail. Uh, you send that to this old dungeon at gmail.com. That's T H I S O L D U N G E O N at gmail.com. All right. Now we got the main event folks. This old dungeon. All right. One of the reasons uh, Edwin reached out to Brett and you uh, got him to come on here tonight is because we've been dying to talk about city adventures, adventuring in an urban environment. We've told you before, you know, we kind of mixed feelings about it. I've admitted that I'm terrified of it as a game master. Obviously Brett's been successful at it and, uh, we really want to kind of pick his brain on how do you make that work? What are some tips and, you know, key, uh, key angles to take to, to be successful at it. Brett, <laughs> tell us about urban adventuring. Well, for me, I think, well, the, I mentioned this earlier on, well, the, the, the key piece is that if you get too big, it can get really out of hand. And so example, right? So if you're doing a, let's just talk D and D for instance, for example, because it's the big sucker out there. Right. So if you want to, have a plot or this thing that's going to happen where you're going to save the world or it's this, it's this great big thing. <clears throat> it's very difficult to have, in my opinion, to stay in, in one place and have that happen, right? You're going to journey over here. You're going to travel over here. There's tends to be lots of uh, action and, and moving and just different stuff going on town to town, dungeon to dungeon. You're cleaning out one area, going to the next in a city-based campaign for me, especially if you're starting at low level or this is where you're starting the campaign and this is where you want to last for a while. You have to have small, local, incremental things that you can do. So, for example, in um, like my setting Avalon, um, the characters are tied to a neighborhood. It's a local thing. You, you know who's in town. You know what's going on there. Even if you're just visiting, showing up and learning about small um, problems, things you can solve that would eventually have not larger knock-on effects. So um, let me think about that. <clears throat> I think, honestly, when I look at a city adventure, a lot of times people think of it as a one-trick place. You go to a city normally, at least in my fantasy gaming, you go there to re-equip, get another quest, solve a problem, and then you leave the city. You don't really stick around. So the city needs to be large enough and complex enough to have lots of different things happening. And one of the ways to do that is to make sure that you don't have um, lots of nameless NPCs, 
Um, people have names, people have reasons why they're doing what they're doing. Does that make sense? Sure. Now to, to do that, do you, do you normally go in with, with your list of names to pull from, or are you just good enough at popping it up right there on the spot? Depending how I'm feeling, if I'm really tired, I start with a list of names, <laughs> but I, uh, I have some names that I go, that are go-to names for me. Um, that just developed for, for use in, in cities and whatnot. But otherwise I, I will write down a list of names or I'll have I've found apps on my phone. I've had over time, which is random name generators, anything I can, anything I can do. The other thing that for me to help make sure that the, the city is alive and the city is about people. It's not just about the architecture and the sewers that are basically dungeons and the abandoned brewery, which is like the abandoned keep the haunted, whatever haunted mansions and stuff. Those are cities. Real stories about the people who live in there. They live here. This is their freaking home. So they want the problem solved or you live there and so on. So the other thing I do is I try to attach them to a job, right? So if it's Mirith, the map maker, guess what Mirith is? He's a map maker. He works for the map makers guild. He does that thing. Why does he care about this? What could he have, right? He might have a map of the sewers. He might have this stuff. So if you're tying them to a job and many of the jobs that, especially in a fantasy type environment are very descriptive. I am a blacksmith. I am a bowyer Fletcher. I am an armorer. I am a rope maker so on and so forth, brewing, owning the inn. Um, I don't give all of them different personalities and such, but I try to tie them to a job. And by tying them to a job, then the characters are like, hey, let's go talk to the guard. Let's go talk to this person, you know, Horace, <clears throat> the pit fighter. Let's go talk to Horace because we've heard something. Somebody got there. Somebody has been murdered and they, it looks like they were beaten to death. Let's go talk to the pit fighter. Maybe Horace who hangs out at the one-eyed raven. He might be the right guy to talk to. And when they finally engage with him, depending what I need out of that part of the story, I can develop, um, this is a, just a skill I've pulled together, is I develop a, um, the players are going too fast. I want to slow them down. Horace is now a belligerent asshole. If the players are not getting any clues and they're not moving things along much at all, sometimes Horace is very forthcoming, right? I can, I can move things along. But what I'm trying to do is I will also get myself a list sometimes of just, um, adjectives descriptors you know one eye so on so forth these things are all online too you can dig up all kinds of stuff but try to assign different personality quirks or types i don't necessarily do the voice because i'm not very good at doing the voice right i can do a scottish accent sometimes an irish accent occasionally you know i can sort of pull off german ish it sounds terrible i just don't bother um i generally just try to describe how people are talking and so on but I also make sure that when the players are interacting with all these NPCs, that the NPCs have, they're interesting. They're either interesting because they've got data to give them. They've got a clue. They've got something that they're going to give them. Or sometimes they're just interesting insofar as that they're annoying, right? You've got somebody who is like fawning all over you or, or nervous or whatever the case is. The more personality you throw into those NPCs, the more people are, they're, they're prone to um, kind of stick around because there's a lot, there's a lot going on here. Now I want to hang out in this neighborhood. I want to see what's happening. I want to help these people. You know, they're coming and asking me to save them from the ghouls in the sewers. Well, you've met the, you've met the, uh, the people whose kids were killed. You've met this person who saw them. You met this person who fought one. Well, you've put names and places and people, they live here. They really care about this. Again, now you're invested and you want to, you want to stick around the area. You're not just like, well, let's go down the sewers, kill the ghouls, move on to the next town. You know, you, I think, you, you care about these people. I think that that continuity in my mind is actually one of the most important things that separates uh, urban adventure, especially a neighborhood urban adventure from 
the wandering adventure is that you're there and the other people are there and you do your thing and they're still there. Like you had a run in with the city guard. Well, it's the same city guard that you're going to be running into for the next rest of the campaign. Yeah, it's a good and point. I think, <laughs> and that, that's both a super positive thing, but I think it's also one of the things that's a big challenge for both the players and the GM. You know, if you're the kind of GM like most of us who, you know, forgets about the, uh, the animal companion or forgets about the NPC <laughs> that's traveling with the, you know, it's like, Oh, Oh yeah, that's right. You do have a pony riding, whatever. And like, I feel like to, to make an urban adventure sing, you've got to remember that that coffee shop owner is the same coffee shop owner that you rescue, you know, that the players rescued their kid or that they argued with because the price of coffee was too expensive or, mm. you know, whatever it is. And that somehow that that's rather than having sort of, the big impact on the world. And, you know, so, so now, now the sun sets blue instead of green because you, you know, you went after the, the archmage or whatever. No, it's, it's, you know, now the people on the street are a little more friendly with you or a little less friendly with you or the, yeah, the city guard helps you uh, as opposed to eyeing you suspiciously and somehow keeping that, uh, keeping that continuity is both the, excitement of an urban adventure and i think the real challenge of it is to just keep that picture in your head of of who everybody is and how they feel about the party and each other it's a very good point one of the things i'll throw this out there is that i I love sourcing the table at that point because i have a list of 10 names and by the time i'm on name 12 because by god they decide to meet every little kid at the preschool type of thing like (laughs) son of a bitch i gotta get another name here I'm going to reach over and go, Bill, what have you got? Tom, what have you got? Hey, you know, what have you got over here? How, how are we going to pull this together? I start asking people those things. And the other piece, when you, if they're from the neighborhood, right. Or why would this blacksmith talk to you? Well, I'm a dwarf. Really? Are you a dwarven blacksmith? What's your, what, what, how are you approaching this person? What are you doing? I'm asking those leading questions because now the character isn't just treating them as a, you know, they've got the glowing token above their head. So they go click on the tree. How are you, how are you talking to this person? I'm asking, I'm not asking for die rules. I'm asking for how you're going to approach this person. And now it's very personal. I've got to do that. And I find that when I've done that, the players start taking better notes. They, they give a shit. What was the name of that blacksmith? It was Tomlinson. Tomlinson's the blacksmith. Yeah. He's the guy that doesn't like, doesn't like dwarves. They, they remember that one, they may have came up with the name, but two, when they interacted with them, it started with, how are you talking to me? You know, I, I made them make it personal. Yeah. And they know that, that Tom Wilson's going to show up again. Like you talk to Tom Wilson in the village a, and then you go to village B, you have no reason to remember Tom Wilson, you know, cause you're, yeah. you're probably never going to make it back to village a cause well, it's going to be burned down by the time, whatever. <laughs> you're the ones that burn it down. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Yeah. I think the uh, the the wonderful facet about a city-based adventure are the number of factions that are involved that aren't necessarily good or bad, or they are good and bad, but the players don't know, right? Obviously, don't know who is who, and they got to learn all this stuff. This is what you guys talk about meeting meeting people within the city. It just uh, there's such a dynamic involved versus you know your standard dungeon adventure. You know, there might be multiple factions on it, but the PCs really don't care. They're going to wipe them all out anyway. Uh, yeah. You really can't do that in a city. Right? Not easily. No, not without getting no. some trouble. The other yeah, thing you you're, can, get, you're in a lot of trouble. And, and the neat thing you can do with that, I think, is, is, a, is a GM, which gives you just so much uh, a bigger palette to work with, is they evolve, right? So is the, the more the PCs do within a city, they're going to get on the good side of, of, you know, faction X 
And by faction, I, it could be the town guard. It could be the local, you know, the local church. It could be that on that, that, mm-hmm. that kind of handles that block area. It could be all the, all the thieves guild. It could be all kinds of different things, right? So they could be on the good side one day and then be on the bad side the next day. And, and they may or may not even know it. So it gives you, I think, as a, as a GM, a ton of work to do as far as complexity, but it also gives you a, 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 an easy escape sometimes because you don't have to tell the PCs why things are going on necessarily, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's, there's machinations in the background that they may or may not know about. Um, I, I love city adventuring, but it is as a DM, it is very complex. Um, and, you know, you can make it, you can make it easier, obviously, but there's a lot, a lot to remember and a lot more note-taking definitely involved with the city. Let me ask you guys this, uh, this rise and fall of social credit with these different factions as folks that have run urban adventures, do you normally actually track that? Like after adventure, do you kind of have a notebook? This is okay. These guys are kind of. So depending on some game systems I've, I've run have, um, have a tool for that. Okay. Right. Like if you're doing like a blades and dark, there's clocks and different things you can do like that, which, <laughs> that which are, which are, which are pretty handy. Right. And what I have found is that after playing a game with a clock in it, I'm like, Oh, Oh yeah, that's pretty fucking handy. i start using that. Right. I just do little tick marks. I just do something that I know they talk to this person. He's mad happy. Now I, I yep. do find myself taking more notes. I also strongly encourage my players to take more notes. I'm like, look, I'm not going to tell you who everybody is. If none of you jerks bother to pay attention. Right. We went through this entire conversation. What's his name? Figure it out. The other thing I found is that from the multiple factions and stuff, when I talk to game masters, you're like, man, I really, I'm struggling with recurring villains. I'm struggling with, I'm like, the city's the place for recurring villain, man. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's right there. She's right there. The faction is right there. You know, this guild is mad at you because of this thing. So you've got this, rec- or you've got one person in the Thieves Guild, you've got one person in the Seamstresses Guild, you've got one person in the Sailmakers Guild, and she's pissed. This person over here, they're mad. Or whatever it is that you crossed somebody. Um, and the other thing you get to do is when, for me to help cut the complexity, is if the players do not give a shit about the Thieves Guild, I only implement the Thieves Guild when I want the players to give a shit about them. Yeah. If what they're really interested in is solving the problem with the landlady at the one-eyed raven whose sons seem to be missing maybe turns out they're ghouls in a basement ah fuck okay this is a problem you know if if that's what they're interested in the thieves don't matter man the thieves are thieving wave it away it doesn't matter (laughs) don't don't care you care about this thing and that's a there's so much going on in this city what i one of the things I've tried to hone myself is I'm like, huh, Edwin cares about this. Then I, I just kind of everything follow it where it's going. And I think the other piece with that though, is that you, you can follow it and so forth, but you need to have places for them to go to. So from a uh-huh. complexity piece, there's still like, look, I got to have five different hooks, whatever it is. But if you had five different hooks to get people to go to the black forest to fight the white skin goblins, well, you need to do that anyway. So how did you get them involved in that? It's a similar thing. But remember, it's only in a city block as opposed to having to be, you don't have to go six miles one way or the right. other. I, I think one of the things I like to do, um, like if, if my campaign is going to be in a city for a while, and it'll be clear that that's what we're going to do, right? Um, I will attach certain factions if I can to, to certain player characters. Absolutely. And give them a yeah. note at the beginning of the playing session. Hey, here's where you're at with this faction, right? You know, or, you know, because it, it could be something really detailed. It could be something just totally generic. Like, yeah, you know, you're, you're still in good standing or, you know, this is kind of what's going on. There's really nothing going on, but 
you're good. Or, Hey, something seems a little off all of a sudden, you know, the one guy you talked to all the time, he disappeared. And there's another guy that you're talking to now. So there's ways to, you know, palm that off onto the players um, a little bit to try and keep them involved in a city campaign. Cause again, it, it can be complex and you do need help. You absolutely need help as a, as a GM to run. And even if you're not giving him like a written note that says, Hey, you're in with blah, blah, blah. The first time, you know, Lou comes up and says, Hey, he's talking to the thieves guild. I can say, have you had any run-ins with the thieves guild before it's your character? Right. And he goes, huh? I don't know. How'd that so, go? Well, <laughs> how about you think about that for a second? Just think about it. Cause you're talking about the fact that you're an ex guard your characters, next Griffin here. You're a guard. You're talking to a member of the thieves guild. I'm have no problem with that, but just think about that. So I'm going to cut over here, go talk. Edwin and I do a thing. I come back and lose like, you know what, man? Yeah, I probably, they probably don't like talking to me unless I'm greasing their palms. Yeah. So I got to pull out some copper. I'm pretty, this is sure. standard. Every time I've talked to them, you know, give the players that opportunity to add that color and mm-hmm. asking those leading questions. Like, look, you know, it says on your character sheet, you're a former guard, or it says, here's your background, or here's your bond or your ideal or whatever it is. And leaning into those things as you're dealing with all those people, because it, it just helps. It just helps to drive the whole. I care about this stuff. And then once you, the other thing I found is that when the players lean into something cool, um, like hey, every time I talk to the thieves guild, I always give them two copper coins because that's just been our tradition. I always give them two coins so that they know I'm on the level. If I give them three coins, they know I'm in trouble. Huh? Interesting. I like that, Lou. Take a note. And that's just something he did. And and when people are in an environment like this, is very. It's very organic. And I think you've got to be able to pick your cues off of people. If you've got a, a good group of players that get into that spirit, they could feed you all this great lore about the environment and they can give you all this really cool stuff. You may have a, a system that has spout lore or other you know, skills you can do, but I think by listening to the players and like you said, keying in on them to get them to give you stuff, you know, I think that's, I think that's super helpful. Source the table, pull that stuff in. That's super helpful. Yeah, there has to just has to be. I think in a city adventure, there's got to be more. There's got to be a lot. A player buy-in has to be a thing, right? And it's got to be for almost all of them. Versus, you know, your 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 standard dungeon adventure. You know, if you're running Hill Giant, for example, you know, and not everyone has to buy in necessarily to Hill Giant. You're just going to go on an adventure. You're going to kill giants. When you get a city adventure, there's there's a lot more of that interpersonal thing going on. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think city adventures yeah. required. Yeah, they just they just do. People are going to get bored really quick. I mean. It's when I, like I said, my viewpoint on it is city adventures are probably one of the most complex adventures to run in, in Dungeons and Dragons, for example. You mentioned the buy-in. I think buy-in is big because even if you're running a sci-fi game or it doesn't matter, like, so, Hey, I'm in, I'm on playing star Wars. I'm in this city. That's where the game is. I need to get you all bought in. If I, yeah. if I say, Hey, let's make a D and D game and sit down and we're like, Hey, Edwin's running a D and D game, or this will be great. Or he's running whatever, you know, and it turns out it's just in Boston. Oh, I thought we were playing Call of Cthulhu. Like we could go anywhere. Nope. All, the entire nope, adventure is in Boston. Boston. Right. <laughs> well, fuck. Um, wow. Uh, my guy's from Omaha. Great. Um, hey, what's he doing in Boston? <laughs> son of a bitch. Well, all my backgrounds were, you know, if you tell people up front, and this is that session zero stuff we all talk about, yeah. right? It's like, get uh, tell them what you're going to do. Tell them what the buy-in is. And some of the expectations you can lay out there say, look, you know, um, I want to source the table. I want to pull some of your ideas. There's no shame. And there's no law, no gaming police going to get you if you drop the screen for a second and say, hey, man, I need some help. You know, we're, we're going to yeah. build this thing together. It's going to we're all going to be better for it. There's systems out there with like clocks and other shit that you can pull and steal and grab onto. Um, I, I encourage people to read, steal all that shit, because a lot of it is just it's agnostic. You can use it for anything you want. But I think that buy in you mentioned, man, that is huge, because if you don't get the buy in, 
they sat down and like, uh, I thought we were playing, uh, you know, murder hobo pillage game and we were just going to go hoppity, hoppity, hoppity. But you told me, yeah. this DC, you told me this DCC game takes place in Lankmar. Yeah. And it stays there. It stays there. <laughs> yeah. It stays there. Well, I'd have made a different character again, you know, but if you don't tell them that they're not, they're going to make the quote unquote wrong character. It's a good character. No doubt. You got good players, but they're going to make one that just doesn't quite fit. And then, or the character is like, okay, I guess we'll be here. But my first instinct is I want to leave as soon as possible. <laughs> I want to leave oh, for fuck's sake, dude. You know, you got, you set the expectations. The players will stick with you better up front. One of the things, um, Brett, that you brought up a few times in different ways that I think is interesting about the city. So you talked about, um, I guess it's basically the, the preponderance of tools that are available to you when you're in the city, because you can turn on and off the thieves guild at will. You can turn on and off the weather or the church or the, the lack of food or the government bringing in the taxes or mm -hmm. like there's so many. And you, cause you talked about it initially, you're talking about pacing, you know, that you can have Horace be either stubborn or giving out clues like a water fountain. Yep. And I think that idea that, and I think, uh, Bill, you were sort of talking about it, too, that the, the there's that complexity that's available. And maybe one of the challenges and maybe this is one of the things you could talk about a little bit Brett, is how you decide when you're going to turn on and off which parts of the city. Right. How like there's the pacing part, but then there's also what the players are interested in. But then there's also the how you know making sure there's enough hooks but not too many hooks yeah and like so i feel like there's a lot of um you have so many options available to you like in the dungeon you have some options to you available like if you're sort of thinking about a classic dungeon crawl sure maybe the orcs are getting angry and they go out and they do some wandering monster stuff yep. or maybe there's uh whatever but but in the city like anything's anything's possible well the cool thing's that so there's there's the advice like orcs attack, ninjas kick in the door. Exactly. You know, right, if there's a right. conversation, there's not a gun on the table. Why isn't there one? Um, so one of the things for me is when the players start to turtle is one of the times I make the city come come alive a little bit more for them with the silly, the mundane. One of the, one of the things I um, I loved in the original Vampire World of Darkness, Chicago by Night, they had a list of things that could happen. Some of them were weird. And some of them like had no clue, no plot hook, or they could or whatever. Um, and I took that the idea of I'm having a bad day. I did it to my girlfriend at the time, just as a quick aside, running a vampire story. She's her character's running through and she had drinks spilled on her all night. Her character had red wine spilled on her on four separate occasions. <laughs> she was convinced that this was a thing. It was just a really shitty day. And when she figured that out, she's like, God damn it, Brett. And I'm like, hey, it's just everybody has a bad day. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so in, in a you know, in a fantasy city, you're going down the street and you're like, your characters are turtling up. You're not quite sure what to do. You get the rap on the door, you open the door and someone's begging. Is it really a beggar? Is it not really a beggar? It turns out it's just a beggar. It's just a legit beggar. And the other thing is sometimes the having those ninjas kick in the door moments when you want to keep the story moving is introduced to the... I won't say the humanity of, but the reality, the um, the people, the essence of the city. <clears throat> you see the guard walking down and they're harassing somebody. Why are they harassing that person? Do you want to get involved? Do you not want to get involved? You've got a mission. Well, all right, I'll go get involved. I'll go figure out what they're doing. Oh, it turns out the kid's <laughs> a cut purse. Well, ah, shit, it's Timmy. God damn it, Timmy. You know, but what I'm choosing to do they, often is when the plot isn't moving, when they're stuck, when the characters don't quite know what to do and they want to have something to do. Um, sometimes 
um, I have found anyway, at least for myself, one of the ways that my brain works is I'll be, I'll be noodling on a problem. And I'm like, I am stuck. We're going to go do this other thing. Right. I step away, do that thing. And back in the old brain, my head's working through the problem. So I found for my players is they have their random encounter in the city, which could be any plethora of things. How do I want to make this neighborhood come alive? The baker's um, the baker spills food and rats are eating it. You can help the baker or not. If you do, I make a note because, hey, you made the baker happy. You kick the rats away. You save them because they're trying to deliver this food, blah, blah, blah. They owe you one. They give you a bagel, whatever the hell happens. <laughs> it's a small little something. But that has distracted the entire group where now they cared about the rats and the, and the poor baker. So he's super happy. That's great. And now when they come back, okay, what were you guys doing? Oh, that's right. We're heading over here. We got to make a decision, guys. Let's make a decision. We're done screwing around. And I've, that happens to me time and time again, regardless of who I'm playing with, whether it's my old crew or a newer crew of people. If you give them those little side distractions where the city comes alive, then you focus them back on what they were supposed to be doing. And then it happens. And because when those side quests, those little things help the baker with the rats, the somebody, you know, they're trying to draw water from the well and the damn rope broke. Are you going to help them or not? Um, guard wants to talk, question you about something that you look like a guy or somebody else they're inconsequential and don't connect to the plot, right? At first glance, I don't even ever have to have them, but depending what's happening there. And the more I do those things, I am building up an arsenal of stuff in my head. I tend to remember more than I take notes of like, they were nice to the baker to help the guy with the water. Um, they pissed off the guard. They pissed, off, they pissed off the guard with <laughs> Timmy. They, um, they pissed off Timmy, whatever it is. I'm like, I have this arsenal now of shit. So yeah. when I want that to happen, Guess what? When they're when they're doing their second story job to try to advance the plot, Timmy comes around and knocks the fucking ladder over because you guys are pack of dicks. You know, he doesn't like you. So, boom, he kicks your ladder out or he blows the whistle on you. Right. So those small interactions come back to bite you, because guess what? You know, you you didn't give a crap that the baker was begging for help. You just walked by when you're running down the street and you look, oh, there's a baker. I run up to the door. She shuts the door. You hear the bolt. Son of a bitch. I'm being chased by undead. Not going in this door. You know, they locked you out. If you were nice, he or she probably let you in. Does that make sense, Edwin? Does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's just a lot. There's like you said, there's a lot of stuff, but I find the pieces making the city come alive in brief interlude type activities like that. Everybody realizes yeah. the city's happening. Life's going on around us. And um, well, I think one of the key messages there is, is the fun of the side quest, because I think that's also, I mean, I can imagine that, as the GM as well, like, oh, I'm struggling to figure out what's happening next in the big plot. But you know what? This afternoon, I don't have the energy to figure that out. So this afternoon, what's happening is there's a few rats that showed up or the skeletons have gotten out of the church basement or whatever. Yep. It, like, that's what's going on today. And I don't actually care about the big plot because I haven't had time to worry about it. Yeah, you get a street alchemist and a fruit vendor clash carts. They fall down. <laughs> now there's smoke and there's like weird chemical smell and they're fighting. Right. <laughs> As you're walking down the street, shit, man, I've had that stuff break that that like broke my whole session. Like I got four hours of gaming tonight. That was four hours of dealing with that. <laughs> Two people are pushing carts. That's the fight tonight. But then yep. <laughs> excuse me, something weird escalated and it just added on, added on, added on, you know. And uh, like I said, those those little side quests. And that's where you're walking down the street in any city, pick any town you live in or work in or whatever. And just look around you and just see all the shit that's going on. All the random crap that happens to you all day long, right? You're in an office, you're walking over to um, to get coffee, and you see somebody dump 
their their the file that they were copying. Do you help them or not? That's a big damn deal. Depends who it is. If that's my CIO's uh, admin, you're goddamn right. I'm helping Joy pick that stuff up because that's my CIO's admin. I will help. I will help pick that shit up all day. Right. It all it all matters. Who's connected to what and so on. Hope that helps. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I know our listeners, uh, you know, tune in for each time is to, to hear about some old games. So we tried to pick some things, uh, some supplements and different things that associate themselves with urban adventuring. Um, we, we, we've taken up so much of your time. Uh, we're going to just try to do a, a whirlwind tour here. Everybody take, you know, five, 10 minutes, talk about what you chose, what its strengths are, you know, what you wish it had that it didn't. Any volunteers to go first? I'm going to go first because unfortunately I, I do feel bad. I do have to dip out of here pretty quick. Um, but uh, it, it's been amazing. So I, uh, I actually pulled way too much stuff out. So I'm just going to go real <laughs> quick. Uh, the one I, I'm going to gravitate to is one that everyone can get their hands up if they want to. It's uh, B6, The Veiled Society by TSR. Oh, yeah. Back in one. the day, uh, it's uh, pop up takes, figures. Yeah, pop, it's got pop up figures and you can actually, uh, it's got cutouts. You can actually build buildings out of this, out of the, the center uh, of the module, the center, I think eight, eight or 10 pages. Um, it's a cool little low level venture. There's a murder that takes place. And we were just talking about factions and the PCs. Uh, it's a city-based adventure. So let me get back to that real quick. It takes place in Specularum, which is uh, basically the main city in the known world back in the day. Um, but uh, you've got these different factions. You've got a murder. The PCs get drawn into this. And uh, before uh, things get really bad in the city because of this murder, the PCs got to track down who did it. And uh, they, they kind of go up against a few different factions of these different families. Um there's other things going on. It's not a real big module. It's short. I think the whole thing is like 28 pages. That includes the cutouts. Uh, it's, it's not real big. It's by uh, Dave Cook. So I'm going to tell you right now, anything that Dave Cook writes is cool. probably going to be amazing. So uh, I wouldn't steer you wrong on this. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of Zeb. Uh, the the plot on this thing, again, it's just a murder. I don't want to give it away to, to our listeners. But uh, <laughs> a, a woman is killed. Uh, this family's involved. Um, and they are kind of like... Uh, they, they, they run this little organization in the background called the Veiled Society. Uh, the, the cool twist in this adventure is uh, that the PCs, you aren't allowed, you're not allowed to run around in armor and swords in the city. So all the fighters are walking around in plain clothes and a dagger. Uh, so I think all they can carry. So, yeah, it, uh, it, uh, <laughs> awesome. it, it's a cool little twist. It, 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 it's going to push your players. It, it makes them do some problem solving. It flows really well. They have a chase scene that's in it. It's all uh, uh, flow charted out which is really cool. Um, it's a really nice, tight adventure. I highly recommend it. You can get it on drive-thru. So you can get it in print form or uh, PDF form on drive-thru. I think the print uh, and book is like 12 bucks or a print and PDF combination. It's a good deal. Uh, I, I highly recommend it. It's for the old, it's, it's a, I want to say it's a BX module. It came out right when BX transitioned in the, in the back me, but it's, it's all the same. But you can run it with AD and D. You can run it with anything. To you can run five E. Honestly, it probably honestly this would probably translate fantastic into a five E adventure. So uh, that's my quick hit and run. And uh, Bill, a, one, one quick question for if you get time. Yeah, um, right, go ahead. It's been, it's been forever since I read that module. How does looking back over it? How does it do as far as allowing characters to pick up clues? I know that's a big thing nowadays. People say, hey, you know, give three chances to get every clue, and and, and it'll probably happen. Was that module pretty good with that kind of thing, or is it? It is. It, it, it's so. Like I said, so for being such a short module, I mean, you take the cutouts out of this module. I think there's only about 
14, 16 actual pages of adventure module here. It does a really good job of giving the DM the tools to run the players through this thing. So if they start stumbling, there's things that can happen. Um, as we were talking about, you know, a city's dynamic, things are always happening. Uh, they're, they're probably not going to get too lost, no matter how dense they might be, um, or they don't pick it up. But it's also not, it's not overly complicated. I mean, if the, the players kind of put the clues together, it works, it works pretty good. It's a little bit of a murder mystery, but it's not real, real complex. Okay. But it does a nice job of, of having a nice little urban adventure um, in a city. And there's things, there's merchants, there's all kinds of things that were involved here. So um, it's, a, it's a great little, probably a one shot. You could probably play it in the evening, uh, which is pretty cool. And we're talking about like, you know, a four hour uh, city adventure. This fits the bill. Nice. Cool. All right, guys. Brett, it was great talking to you. You too, man. Good to meet you. All right. Have a good night. Bye. Yeah. It's later, Bill. All right. Who wants to go next? I'll go. Awesome. So Chicago by night, I mentioned it earlier, but my uh, <laughs> first edition, uh, Vampire the Masquerade, I believe this is still out on drive through somewhere. Well, the cool things about this book is like back in the day, it was only 18 bucks. I don't know what it goes for now in PDF, but not that bad. But one of the cool parts is the, when you, for me, one of the things I like about a good city adventure book or a pamphlet, whatever it is, it has some really good ideas of different types of city based encounters that are, that fit there. Right. So that's where this one has different things like, Hey, this is different locations within the city. Hey, if you're in this zone, that zone, if you're down by the docks, if you're over here, this is what you might have. And it covers Chicago, which is no, you know, it's a pretty small <laughs> place, right? <laughs> Just a few Tiny. people there. But it has um, different pieces like, hey, there's fools, there's heroic stuff, there's there's asp horror, there's bizarre introductions that can happen, um, characters, n nostalgic things where you bump into somebody who thinks they know who you are, you know, and the, there's things to increase paranoia, premonitions, chases, romance encounters, threats, just all these different things. There's just quick little paragraph blurbs, like 10, 12 for each of them. The other thing that it does really well, which I've encouraged people to do in the past, is if you have a, a neighborhood and you're getting big names or whatever it is, if you have certain names that you're calling out, like where the blacksmith is and this, that, and the other thing, how do they feel about each other? And that's important. Mm -hmm. And that's a piece that I really learned from the uh, the vampire system was that every city, if you had Loden was the prince and Khalid was this guy, do they like each other? Nope, they hate each other. Or this guy likes him, but he hates him, but we'll let him know. Those little pieces and parts, how are the names that I have interacting? When I say the names, I'm talking about the key ones. And then as I'm going through my notes or whatever, what, what's happened to that? So, um, but anyway, I really like this. And the other thing that, about it is that it's the concepts in it translate well to a fantasy adventure or a modern one or even a sci-fi, just the ideas of how you'd run it. It's geared towards more horror stuff, which is something I jam on anyway. But um, I just, the way they lay it out and the way they, if nothing is using it as an example of how to break out a city into zones and um, have NPCs with relationships and blocking out different types of encounters. That way, if nothing else, you can build yourself uh, kind of a random chart of shit you've got to throw at people. So if you're not good at making it up on the fly, it gives you something to reference. So I really like it. So when awesome. we decided that we were going to go individual, I decided, man, I'm, I'm just going to do a deep dive, pull out something that, is from a system nobody ever ever plays and that I enjoy. So uh, I've got the DCU RPG from West End Games. Uh, people online that have talked to me about superhero games know that this is my favorite. And I'm not a DC guy anyhow. I'm, I'm a Marvel guy. But but this system, just I fell in love with it. It 
it translates the whole comic book uh, experience really well to the RPG awesome. uh, feel. Um, so they, they came out with two different books, uh, Gotham City and Metropolis, the City of Tomorrow. These are the Daily Planet guides to um, for that system. Uh, and I had not really cracked these open in a long time. They're short, about 140 pages, I think. Um, they're, they're in the kind of journal size, you know, so it's, it's not a, a lot of writing that's really there. Really sparse on illustrations, too, which I kind of never picked up on before, but kind of disappointed me, actually, for being a comic book uh, game. <laughs> but anyhow, <laughs> the things we're really trying to talk about is, uh, do they help you run an urban adventure? And there's things in it that are really good. Uh, they all go through things like the history of the city, how the government is set up, uh, the different boroughs, kind of like what Brett was saying that, oh, you know, uh, you know, here in, in, in Suicide Row, things are like this and over here, you know, uh, it, they do a pretty good job at that. Um, it, to me, the one thing I wish they had done is, is go into more bullet points on that so that you can find that information pretty easy instead of having to read through, you know, paragraph after paragraph of prose. Um, they go through the laws, they go through industry that's there, media, uh, the pastimes, the recreation areas. There's some pretty good maps, which is, I think, a must when you're running an urban adventure to have at least kind of a bigger city map with like the plots of the different main boroughs or what have you. Uh, or in, in the case of Metropolis, they actually have this really cool like three quarter scale uh, perspective you know, where it's kind of like you're looking oh, yeah, yeah. top okay. down Bird's at the city. View type, yeah, type, yeah. Yeah, nice. So you get to see where like all the big monuments are and things. I really love that kind of stuff. Um, so that was pretty good. The thing uh, that really to me lacked is all the charts we're talking about. Like there's nothing in here that says, hey, here's some things that might happen on a given day in Metropolis. Uh, you know, here's some people that you might run into, you know, randomly or whatever. Um and then even the adventure seeds are super lacking. Like I, I just got to read it just to show people how lacking it is uh, real quick here. Uh, these are adventure seeds when it was talking about um, uh, the, the stores and stuff in uh, Gotham. It says a dangerous new drug has shown up in the trendier nightclubs. Has Mr. Cobblepot really changed his feathers or maybe he has nothing to do with this? I mean, it's I, I, <laughs> a little thin, a little thin. I, yeah, yeah, I didn't really need that, you know. And you know, and that's where uh, I, you know, the the having the huge background of like the government and all that stuff. That's interesting, but like, man, knock that shit down. I mean, this it's an older supplement, right? Uh, but yeah, in the two thousand, yeah, yeah, in a, in a better edited version, would be like, you know, I, I don't need all that up front. What I really need is how the hell do I run this? <laughs> type of thing. Or, yeah, or, or sow those seeds into that part. Like, give me a reason why I need to know that about the government that I can. Yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Put yeah. that into an adventure for exactly. some you exactly. know, point. So yeah, overall, uh meh. Uh I love the system. <laughs> These books uh I, I don't feel would give me any great advantage to running an urban setting. I mean, they don't even really get too much into how those cities are different and how they perceive heroes and villains, uh, which mm. really to me that's that's gonna be the crux of what you're doing in this kind of a setting. Absolutely, yeah. Huh. So they get, would give you the framework mechanically, like here's some buildings and here's some statues, but they're not oh, giving yeah. you I anything mean, uh, personality-wise. In Metropolis, it goes into like the uh, building codes and talks about how after the death of Superman, uh, it's now coded that you have to have a building that is uh, resistant to a volcanic eruption and earthquakes. You know, <laughs> okay, all right. Nice. <laughs> so now uh, Mr. Cobblepot is out there undermining the building codes. Of, <laughs> uh, that's great. <laughs> Just moving on. Yeah. Edwin, how about you? What was your pick? So I ended up going with the um, Edition Sans Detour, the French edition of the um, 
Masks of Nerlethotep, New York chapter. They have oh, a wow. so they, their box set has a separate book for each each city. So I'm going with the New York chapter. Damn. Um, and it was interesting reading it because it's, of course, written for uh, a French audience. And so they're comparing things. They're saying, you know, New York City. Well, so one of the examples they give is uh, uh, New York City in 1920 has uh, 213,000 vehicles. All of France at the same time had 236,000 vehicles. So they're like just trying to, you know, put everything into perspective, uh, which I thought was kind of fun. Uh, one of the things, though, I really liked about this, uh, you know, New York, like Chicago, not a small town. Um, and they're obviously not going to cover New York. Like, you know, they're not going to go Get borough by borough or whatever. Um, so one of the things they do that I think is really powerful is they start off with a series of bullet points where the first thing is uh, colors and then forms and then sounds and then smells. And then uh, how does it feel? How does the air feel? And then they're talking, you know, it's January. They talk about the snow um, and the dirty snow. And just, just that sense of giving that sort of uh, brought me back to Avalon. Like what they're really trying to do is give us the mood of New York. That's going to help support the game that we're going to run in New York. Right. Cause you can have any New York, but if you want to run masks, this is the New York that we recommend you run it in. And so I think that was really nice. Um, and I think that's a, a good tool if you're making your own city, too, is to come up with those things and then probably even to differentiate those by neighborhood. Right. So in this neighborhood, what you really smell is the brewery in that neighborhood. You know, you've got the bakers, or you've got the dye makers or whatever yep. it is. And so I think getting the, that differentiation and then you can start to just remind the players occasionally like, oh, here you go. Um, they do. Uh, I think also there's a nice job of. You know, it's a, it's a pretty, uh, you know, basically it's a, you know, you assume that most, most people who are going to play Call of Cthulhu uh, sort of have seen the New York chapter. I'm not too worried about spoiling that. Uh, the guy you're looking for is dead. Like that's the important thing yeah. <laughs> that happens in New York. Um, and, and then that leads you from there, you end up with maybe, you know, three or four likely places you're going to go. And so those places are detailed, you know, they give you the, the various, uh, the juju shop and some of the other places that you're likely to go. And then you give a little map. Um, and that's, you know, that's basically all you get for New York city, which is kind of a fun thought because of course there's so much that they could put in there. One of the things, and they do a nice job of the, uh, I think a really nice job of describing the hotel where you start and describing, you know, the mansion that you're likely to go to. And some of these other places are, are really nicely done. I think like your, uh, your comic world there, there's a little bit too much for my mind on history. And I would have liked a little bit more on current flavor. In other words, the focus I think always needs to be on what are you going to bring to the table and I feel like this has a little bit too much, you know, learning the immigration history of New York is interesting. And I imagine could help some GMs talk about things and put things together. But I feel like giving specific examples of how this neighborhood is Jewish and used to be German or used to be Irish or whatever it is like, that would be a more interesting way of bringing that historical information to the table and that that's really yeah and i think i think that's sort of a call of cthulhu um i'll tell you man that i think that's a that is a 
Hmm. It's a classic uh, like world dump thing. Like yeah. just lore in general. Lore, exactly. So so yes. if you're like, well, I want to play Forgotten Realms, you need to read these 62 books. The fuck you do, right? Why? I just need Why? to know what yeah. I need to know what's going on here. And it it is interesting, but unless the historical rules on immigration play directly into the plot, I do not care. Exactly. So you're not gonna bring them up. I tried desperately to with an Avalon to give flavor, 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 flavor. I'll pat myself on the back, but not go like deep, deep, deep because it doesn't matter. Right. If and when I release something about Thorbrandor, the great Dwarven city that's beneath Avalon, at that <laughs> point, the history of why it's there is something you need to uncover as you go through it. Otherwise, going super deep into stuff, much like the Metropolis and the Gotham stuff, right? All that history is interesting, but could say, like, hey, post-death of Superman, here's some crazy shit they did. All buildings must be able to handle volcano. This, this, <laughs> this, this, this. You know, that's interesting. But um, I, I think if nothing else, people are becoming more savvy in all of us as, as gamers. This is where our improvement comes along. Is like, yeah. what do I need to run this thing? Right? Nobody, I should say nobody cares. Some of that lore is amazing. I love reading that stuff. But when I go through it, I'm like, how do I get to, how do I get through this? How do I use this? Adventure? Yeah. Because yep. when you're telling me in that adventure, it's, it, I think it's Jackson Elias, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. So Jackson's dead. We all got to figure this out. There's, it's like a handful of places to go. And those are the only places they map. Why in God's earth did you tell me the rest of that? Exactly. It's, the size comparison is wonderful though. I mean, to, to be able to yeah, give I mean, you get, those... getting the feel of New York and, yeah, and knowing the, about the different neighborhoods is, is important and sort of knowing what's different about them. But understanding uh, which taxi cabs take bribes, don't flip in care because there's <laughs> in nothing this case, to do right, with Maggie. finding this. If that was yep. something about the mass taxi cab murderer, then I would care about that, but it's, it's nothing to do with that. So interesting so yeah and then one thing they do do and this is this is also kind of a nice thing i was probably in the chicago book too i don't know but there's some gorgeous photographs you know 1920s 1930s photographs that they brought in here oh, and neat. that's super nice to have and of course they've got the old uh, metro maps in here they've got some old uh, city maps and so one of the nice things about having a real city of course is that it's so easy to come up with reference uh, you know, with the reference stuff and uh yeah and, and bring in these things and they're talking about uh this hotel actually this was sort of funny the uh the jackson elias the hotel where you go is apparently oh no no i'm sorry one of the one of the cults is based on um the cult in uh uh live or let die apparently Oh, wow. Okay. And so they mentioned that and they talk about, then they say this hotel is sort of like the one, or maybe it is the one where such and such happens in this movie. Oh, and so they're giving some nice, uh, like, if you want to go to Touch your, your work to, yeah. keeper, go read no, this or watch that. I think you're, Lou, when you just said the touchstone piece, I think that's, in, that's, that's key. Touchstones are something to allow you to reference it, like in your head and draw that connection. Anything that does that in the city setting is huge. So I love the maps, the, um, the little bit of a background stuff and those descriptors are just the differences. Hey, this is a lot like Chicago, except. Okay. I, even if nothing else, I have a picture in my head of what Chicago is. And all, all you had to do is tell me, except it's really, really blue. Okay. So apparently it wasn't really blue before. Even if I didn't know anything else, you gave me enough in that one little chunk. I'm like, okay, cool. I got something. And again, that's what's important. And as your players go into it deeper, they're going to uncover more pieces, more bits of lore, and then they're going to they're groove on that stuff. But there's no point to hammer the shit out of them with mm -hmm. it at the beginning, especially the poor game master trying to figure it out. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, so I think the uh, I think the things I would change is the uh, the focus a little bit of the book. 
and then I've always I've always struggled with this with the hook uh, as a as a hook for starting off a world spanning campaign with a bunch of investigators. I feel like this is one of the weakest possible hooks out there. Is you kind of know this guy and now he's dead. Go. <laughs> I hope you all like each other. There's actually, yeah. yeah. It is so, it is so much so that everybody that that's like well-known within the hobby, like that's everything else right. about it's awesome, except for this. There's like add-ons all over the place. Like here, do these 62 things. So, so you understand why you're doing it. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. yep. It's an awesome adventure. We have no idea why your characters are actually <laughs> exactly. going through this. Although the fact that it's really awesome. You'd be glad you did. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us to a close on the This Old Dungeon segment, which leaves only one other segment for this uh, marathon <laughs> near three-hour uh, episode we have going. Uh, Brett, it's that time, buddy. All right, it's hit me. credit time. Hey, hey, you. Do you have any geek credit? Hit me. All hit right. Me. So, folks, geek credit, we ask five multiple choice questions. If he can get three out of five, he maintains his geek credit. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, urban RPGs. Uh, but then you also said that you were uh, 30 years, did you say, in the martial arts? Yeah, I've been doing that since thir- since I was 13. Yep. Oh, wow. All right. So we got a few questions, or at least oh, I, yeah. I got a question for you thrown in about that. Uh, Edwin, why don't you start us off? All right. So I'm going to start. I had a couple of martial arts questions here. And I'll Shit. start with one of them. Okay. Um, it's a it's a geek. Well, this one, I'll start with this one. So uh, I watched recently Birth of the Dragon, which is 2016 Bruce Lee creation myth story. Mm-hmm. Um, so Bruce Lee's students did not include which of the following: Chuck Norris, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Roman Polanski, Sharon Tate, Steve McQueen, and Steven Seagal. Maybe Steven Seagal. Damn. Good job. Yeah. Woohoo. Got one on the board. All right. Going to pop over to me. I, I'm going to do another martial arts question. We'll kind of go with that theme for a few. All, um, right. all right. So, which of these famous martial artists did not achieve a single belt in any martial arts training, nor win a single tournament for their martial arts discipline? Jet Li, Chuck Norris, Bruce Lee, or Jackie Chan? Jackie Chan. Oh no, it's actually Damn Bruce it. Lee. Was it Bruce? Okay. Yeah, Damn Bruce it. Lee never had a belt, never, never practiced because yeah. uh, he made his own two. school, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, and uh, never yep. he, he participated in tournaments as I more of like a sideshow. Yeah, yeah. No, he, he actually was always, uh, he was always Jackie. He was good. I was gonna say no. Bruce was always the exhibition guy. Yeah, yeah. I knew that, but I no. oh shit. Oh well. No, whatever. Jackie Chan both uh, had uh, some belts in. I can't remember what his discipline is. Is one I'd never heard of. Uh, something something so do or something I don't know. But Tang, uh, uh, Tang Sudo, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Yes. Tang Sudo. Yep. Uh, and then he also had won some tournaments uh, as a youth. So ah, cool. Okay. Right. Back to Edwin. Sure. Oh, wrapping up the martial arts, maybe. Sure. Um, so Aikido was developed in which decade? 1650s, 1740s, 1830s, 1920s. 1920s. Yeah. Yeah. I, stu- right. I studied at Kiev right. for five years. Two out of three. We're doing good. Yeah, I thought here. it was a place you got cheap furniture. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh. all right. All right. So, we're going to shift gears here. Let's talk about urban adventures. Uh, I know you ran a Greyhawk campaign, an old school Greyhawk campaign a while back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, let me ask you this 
who founded the city of Greyhawk? Was it the Lich Vecna, a mythic god named Flane, the Archmage Agarian, or the Archmage Zygig? I could say gig. My gig's correct. You yeah, got I was going to say, as soon as, I, as soon as I found a Gygax anagram, I'm like, all right, Gygax. <laughs> exactly. That had to be He's it. found his own damn city. There we go. There yep. we go. Yep. All right. All right. So it's guaranteed you, you got your geek credit. Uh, folks, this next time around, one of you, one of you will be lucky and uh, be winning a little something. But let's see. Let's even go all five uh, and get, uh, well, you got. Uh, oh, we can't do that this anymore. Yeah, we need one <laughs> this more. One, this one. Yeah. No, one more. See if you get four out of five. Yeah, there we go. All right, uh, Edwin, you want me to go or you want to finish? I think you better go. All right, so uh, another urban legend one. Uh, At its largest population count, which of these RPG cities is the largest? The city of Waterdeep, the city of Greyhawk, the city of Freeport, or Specularum? By population, city Uh, of Waterdeep, city of Greyhawk, Freeport, or Specularum? I'm going to say Freeport. Oh, no. Well... So this is Waterdeep by a long shot. Is it? I didn't. Yeah. So the 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 I knew Waterdeep was big, but I'm like, oh, yeah. did they? the map's not that big. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, wow. So the, uh, the Waterdeep is 130,000 people at its height. Damn. Greyhawk was 69,500 at its height. Oh, I was probably way that. Freeport's off. only 10,000. Really? Specularum was 50,000. Wow. So uh, I was Waterdeep by far. And yeah, Avalon's damn. what? 100 million? About that. Yeah. There you in go. The first, <laughs> in the first square mile. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's <laughs> got like a lot of Tokyo's all next to each other. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, it doesn't matter, folks. He got his geek. That was credit. awesome. That's awesome. Brent, it has been amazing having you on the uh, the show. And Thank uh, you. you know, I, I know we talked before the show that uh, you, you got some big changes coming your way with the podcast and all. But uh, good luck to you and all you do. Thank and you. And you got anything you want to plug here before we go out? No. Well, I'm just uh, gamingbs.com. That's where you can find me and Sean. What we've been doing for seven years. So uh, look forward to getting some people hanging out with us over there and whatnot. Um, I think uh, the other cool thing I would say is our uh, Discord community. The community, no matter what happens with uh, anything else, uh, Sean has really done a great job curating and creating a really fun community. That's how I meet guys like you and other really cool folks. So um, let's, I want to keep that going. I think that's, I think that's one of the coolest parts. So hopefully I'll see you guys around there. For sure. Awesome. All right. This has been another episode of This Old Dungeon. I'm Lou Alou. It's been a pleasure. This is Edwin. Take care. And this is Brett. Good night and good game and all. You've been listening to This Old Dungeon. Copyright 2022. The views expressed by the hosts and guests are, well, hey, we're just a bunch of bullshitters, so you do the math. If you have any requests or any correspondence you'd like to send, send it to this old dungeon at gmail.com. Have a wonderful day.